the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all could be with us this morning. It's like 25 degrees outside, but it's a warm 25 degrees. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, warm. There's still ice on the trees. Uh, uh, it's so pretty, isn't it? It is. It is. scares the dogs, though, when they go outside, you know, and all the ice is falling off the trees. Yeah. And they think, you know, that we're throwing things at them. So. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, what I... Pulled up. You were here first, and then I I was here, and I was sitting in the truck finishing something. Yeah, I can and still it, hear it out there. You can still, got yeah. yeah. And I had the window down a little bit because I had the heat running so much. And then I heard this noise, and I thought, "Don't sneak up on me, Jim." <laughs> and you had already went in the building, but it was the ice falling, just yep. melting, just a little bit at twenty five degrees. I don't know how, but I mean, what kind of week did we just have? It was a blast. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and I had so many people call me at work going, okay, this is, you know, right round two of cold weather we've mm-hmm. had, really cold weather. So is that really going to be the end of my plants? And I was like, no, no this, this. No, and this really wasn't cold. You it know? Was, no, not, not like last time. No, no I mean, it was zero degrees. degrees or something mm-hmm. like that. That's not, you that's know, like, un, unnormal at all. Yeah, uh, that's kind of like just a, so a winter day. Yeah. We just don't have winter months like that. Well, they were actually, you know, they were talking about not only the 20-something degree temperatures, but the ice on everything. And they're Mm -hmm. like, God, I know this stuff is dead now. I'm like, no. Best thing for it. What do you explain that, Jim? Oh, well, um, you know, coating it like that. It, how can anything be encased in ice and it be the best thing? Well, it insulates it. sound backwards? It insulates it against uh, water loss due to, mm-hmm. to the wind blowing through them. Uh, you know, it, it's bad when it gets thick enough that, you know, it brings limbs and trees mm-hmm. down and that sort of thing. Uh, but it's actually healthy for the plant to be uh, wrapped up in ice through the really cold weather. Yeah, like I say, that, it didn't get bitterly cold. Though. And that's what like the citrus farms do, is if it's going to drop below freezing, get they'll the sprinklers out. Yeah, put that's ice right. on everything. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. a, it's a hard to... Comp- I mean, just hard to believe that ice is an insulator, yeah. right? I like mean, it just snow. didn't make sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. like hard to believe like snow is an insulator. So this mm-hmm. last week that, of you know, icy cold weather we've had uh, has done really n- no more damage that I know of mm-hmm. than on anything that was right. already damaged out there. Yeah, exactly. I did have a few things um, at the garden center, like a big, it was a foster, it is a foster holly, and it got wet or lots of ice on it, and it's bending over. And it didn't seem like before that it would have done that, like there was no pre-existing condition. So I've seen a few of that, but it's going to pop back up. Yeah, and I've seen some of the arbovitas, you know, how they, mm-hmm. you know, just get really wet and then they turn into just an ice cube. Yeah. Then they start leaning and folding over and had a guy in the garden center the other day buying things to tie it up, mm-hmm. you know, and I mm-hmm. said, yeah, that's fine. You know, you can, you can hold it up and tie it up at the moment, but, you know, eventually that ice is going to melt and they're going to kind of straighten back yeah. up. Now, we have seen them where they just come uprooted, mm-hmm. and that's different from just getting, you know, bent over. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of this that we were seeing out there is more superficial uh, than really detrimental mm-hmm. when it comes to you know when it comes to all this ice. Yeah, the worst thing about the ice is the damage it could do in just weight. Uh, right. You know, we had that ice storm what three or three years ago now, uh, where it bent my sweet olive way over, 
uh, and it actually damaged the wood. And over the mm-hmm. next <clears throat> two years or so, it began to lose trunks out of it. And just from the the damage to the to the, to the conductive tissue and so you know that's uh, particularly on broadleaf evergreens of course you know this year most of the broadleaf evergreens aren't evergreens yeah right you know, well when so. you were saying uh, damage to the conductive tissues is that like something you don't see on the outside but it's happening right. on the inside that's right you don't Just, know it yeah. you know and, and it usually will like so re-sprout some in the spring mm-hmm. and look everything's happy and then you know typically it's june to August, yeah, somewhere in there that the plant really needs to take moisture up and move food down, and it's unable to do that. Uh, so it's a slow death. So nurserymen could have a good spring and a good fall. Yes, that's <laughs> because first yeah. off, we'll see what you know was damaged in the spring and want to replace and all of that, and then like you're saying, there'll be some damage that we're not going to see until after summer. So then. We'll have fall. To but isn't that depressing, that? though? You know, you, you we go through a winter like we've already gone through. And, you know, of course, we're not done with winter yet. And, you know, in the spring, it appears that a lot of this stuff flushes back out. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like, great. Yeah. You know, we're on our way. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as it starts to get hot, like Jim said, some of these plants start to decline. And you're like, God, what the heck? <laughs> You know, I made it through the winter. Yeah. They flushed out. They look great, and now they're declining. What's going on? Well, I'm sure my husband fertilized it too much. Oh, yeah. Or he probably sprayed no. something on it yep. or, the, you know, <laughs> because there's no other evidence, absolutely. That's Anything. right. You know, <laughs> m- most of the gardeners are women because men know better. You get involved, something dies, you're going to get blamed. <laughs> right, right. You know? So they're <laughs> not even going to be a part of <laughs> That's this. That's right. <laughs> I didn't wrong. do it. I have not been in the garden. <laughs> but, but when it starts to get really hot, <clears throat> which is a stressful time, even on healthy plants, uh, and healthy tr- uh, shrubs and healthy trees, uh, if they've been compromised, you know, and, and that moisture is not moving like it should, uh, you know, the, fl- uh, the food, uh, you know, is not moving like it should from the roots uh, to the leaves, the leaves to the roots, that's when we start seeing a lot of that damage out there. So, you know, hope and pray that, you know, when it starts to get really hot this summer and you know, we, that day will come, we all know that. That probably in March. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we hope that uh, you know that we're not going to see a, a ton of dieback mm-hmm. out there after plants have flushed back out this spring. And you mentioned osmanthus a while ago. I mean, they look horrible. Oh yeah. Right now, I mean, I was driving down from work yesterday, and I was still noticing even more so. It looked like um, you know all that dead tissue or dead looking tissue out there. And, of course, I get it. You know, evergreens, especially broadleaf evergreens, you know, like, uh, you know, the osmanthus and the, uh, the autolucans, the laurels and all those things. I mean, they look so dead because every leaf on it is fried, mm-hmm. right? But I'm just thinking, man, are these things going to come back out? Or it's a good excuse to say, yeah. oh, I'm sure they're not coming out. Go ahead and dig those up. Yeah, don't do that <laughs> yet, though. No, go and dig those up. So I don't like those anyway. Let's so to pretend like they're dead. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Good <laughs> Lord, I do. So hopefully that this last round, like we're talking about of ice and everything, hasn't done any more damage because we've had, there again, a lot of phone calls to what was already potentially damaged out there. And, you know, we've been saying this a thousand times over. You know, a lot of this damage was um, more confined to the foliage than it was the, the integrity of the plant. Yeah. So, 
We hope. Yeah, we hope. I know. I know. We hope. So we'll have to – it's this waiting game, guys. We're going to have to wait and see what happens, see how things do flush back out well, in the spring. And then next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is going to be 10 degrees above normal. Mm-hmm. Be up in the 60s. Yeah. That's so uh, hey, I saw daffodils blooming last week yeah. before this ice mm-hmm. storm. These Actually, plants don't know what to do. I know. I walked – I went – for a walk and was up around the pond and uh, there was daffodils blooming so i picked them and brought them inside of course you did they smell so wonderful too mm. i know i mean you know, i'm thinking daffodils are a winter plant <laughs> you know let's take them off this early spring bloom plant and put them on the winter plant well remember at some point this morning we've got jan dickey coming up uh she's the new president of the memphis area master gardeners we get to yes, uh, have a chat with yes. her, you know, introduce her. So um, it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be good. Um, today, the high is like 46-ish, partly sunny, partly yeah. cloudy. I'll take that 46. Partly. Yeah, so it's going to be feeling like springtime today. And, and finally, <laughs> finally, the sun came out yesterday. You know, and this deciduous trees and deciduous mm-hmm. shrubs that were encased in ice had a beautiful look yeah. to it. You know, they but do. I'm thinking finally, you know, with the sun coming out, this stuff is going to start kind of melt away, mm-hmm. which it did, thank goodness. And it's still melting out there. Like you said, when I got out of the car this morning walking in the studio, I could hear the crackling sound out there. I'm like, is that a bear? Yeah. You know, what's right, out there? That's a like, lot of noise out there. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to my son, and I'm like, okay, we're 25, and the trees are iced over. And he goes, well, we're about to go out on the boat, you know, because it's 82 and 58 humidity and just beautiful Down there. in Florida. Yeah, and I'm thinking, which weather would mm-hmm. I like to be in? Because I like the winter. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not a northerner where I could handle months of winter, mm-hmm. but I like our little episodes of the snow or the ice or whatever. I like that. Yeah, you know, we're in 32 one one day and then 88 the next day only in memphis right (laughs) years ago when i worked for central garden pit they uh, offered me a position in minneapolis and uh, you were so smart to turn that down well you know my wife is deathly afraid of walking on ice or you know Mm. she's afraid she'll slip even from the inside you know Uh, looking out the window yeah Yeah. my boss said well you love to fish you know they call this you know the land of a thousand lakes up here you just Mm -hmm. you'll be right at home i said but you know Eight or nine months out of the year, those lakes are frozen. You can walk on them. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so forget about that. All right, we're going to go to a break. Um, y'all can give us a call, or you can post your questions on our Facebook Live, but call us at 901-260-5926. Mm-hmm. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I'm Beta with Palladio Garden. Yeah, she is, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim. And Jim, you are the administrator of our Facebook group, Mid South Gardening, Gardening in USDA Zone Six, Seven, and Eight. And what have people been posting this week? Well, you know, a lot of pretty pictures of the ice. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. A lot of concern about, you know, a lot of questions about pruning. You know, I had one yesterday. Guy asked, "When's the proper time to?" prune your fig well if it's still alive <laughs> you know uh, what do we think of the figs are do you think they're going to be gone? i think they're killed to the ground yeah but they'll still come back should which, come back no and weeks. probably not figs this year or we have a possibility well <clears throat> you know if it's um like um um oh, the common one that can make any brown turkey yeah brown turkey it, it it produces best on first year wood so it'll come up and produce a crop this year mm-hmm. um but yeah, a lot of the uh, um, uh, the 
uh, yeah, like the Celeste, Celeste and LSU Purple, LSU Gold, and all that. Best on second year in older mm-hmm. wood, so those are going to be. Uh, you might get a late crop, but but you still want people. You still want people to be patient and just let's see what, if they flush back out. Well, yeah. Yeah. Now, what about hydrangeas, guys? Do we know anything yet? Have we heard anything at all? You know, no. I think we're just gonna hide and watch, as they say. It was the see same what thing. Happens. Yeah. You know, they could be you all know, the ones I've checked at my house are dead to the ground. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the case, Jim. Yeah. On, a, on a lot of them, depending on the exposure and where they are, where they're planted. But I think a lot of these hydrangeas, uh, we're going to just cut them off. <laughs> as Jim used to say, one little swift cut right there at ground yeah. level, and let them flush back from the roots. Mm. Now, depending on the variety, you know, that's going to really mess with the bloom on the old-fashioned hydrangeas. Oh, yeah. There won't be any hardly. You know, and then on the paniculatas, you know, the limelights and those things, if they're down to the ground, which they very well could be, mm-hmm. you know, we still should get bloom this summer yeah, right. on those. So Now, if you buy some hydrangeas from a garden center that, you know, just recently got them in or protected them, then you'll get blooms off of those. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's just the ones that are in the ground, right? Isn't it amazing, though? And then the other thing, you know, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago that I'm a little concerned about also still are the Japanese maples. You know, it mm-hmm. just seems like, you know, we were talking about how these thin-barked, these thin-skinned trees uh, are fairly susceptible to these really deep freezes. Uh, and Japanese maples are definitely one of those trees, you know. Crape myrtles. Uh, I see, that, see a lot of those that are knocked to the ground. Mm-hmm. I know it seems hard to believe because they're still standing just so perfect and stately, and but they don't show any any damage, but they can have it. They are thin-skinned. So you're you know? thinking because they're thin-skinned and we were so cold and it dropped that we'll maybe lose all of the tree or just a lot of dieback on the crepe myrtles? Well, I think a lot of it's going to depend on the location. Uh, if it was exposed to sun that next morning, I think it's probably going to go back to the ground. Yeah. I mean, even 25-, 30-year-old crepe myrtles, I believe, will, wow. will suffer. Um, yeah, but that's why, because they're not for cold zones really and then when we just and they're not for places that go up and down so much in temperature yeah. we're right on that border i guess yeah but we had just had not had any really really cold temperatures to set everything mm-hmm. into dormancy yeah. um you know i still had some crepes that that had leaves on them mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So. you know it's, it's crazy and we you know we've talked about this before is people way up north come down to the south and they see our blooming crepe myrtles, and they're just in awe. I mean, they're they're like, what are these beautiful things? And then people from the south go up north and see these blooming lilacs, and like, what oh, are yeah. these things? You know, mm-hmm. so they want the crepe myrtles. We want the lilacs, right? We always want yeah, something that you know that doesn't doesn't grow here. Or but we want the hibiscus to grow here, and and then they want the roses in Florida. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But a couple of years ago at the garden center, we had somebody uh, come in. They were from Chicago, and they were in their uh, you know SUV or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And they, of course, saw the crepe myrtles blooming, and they'd seen them before, but they were just determined that they were going to take some crepe myrtles back to Chicago. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, we can load them up for you, but you have to understand that Chicago winters are a little different from Memphis winters. Mm-hmm. Well, they used to be anyway, right? So uh, he didn't care. He, he loaded some up in that SUV, y'all. They were heading back to Chicago with crepe myrtles in the back, and I'm like, I'd love to yeah. see how that worked out. Right, yeah. Mm. Well, you know, a lot of 
a lot of winters, they would it, once it's established, it would probably just be killed to the ground and re-sprout. Exactly. Year. And since it blooms on first year wood, you'd have some color. You'd never get one to shade your house. Yeah. You exactly. know? But it would uh, it would still probably produce color. Uh, so that's seeing it in a different way. Yeah. You can still have a crepe myrtle. It'll just be a different shape. Yeah, they're just gr- growing it as, a, as an annual. I mean, well, as, as a perennial <laughs> yeah. that dies down every year and <laughs> comes back. Like a butterfly bush yeah. or something. There's a, there's a house not far from mine where um, they've got a number of crepe myrtles printed. It's right at an intersection, so it wraps around the corner of their front yard. And they're tall-growing crepe myrtles. But every year, they whack them off at the ground mm-hmm. and let's, let them come up. And they have kind of a nice vase shape to them. Yeah. Uh, and, and they bloom. They're look a little odd because they use the like four different colors and the heights are different on them but uh but it does make a very full thick uh flowering shrub you know and they just you know you know naturally naturally they are shrubs yeah. you know i mean yeah they technically in, they are shrubs. exactly you know yeah. but now we tree form them of course yeah. but what about the deal you know we've always heard about crepe murder you know when you're going back there cutting uh crepe myrtles and you know, you see the landscapers do it. So if the landscapers do it, the homeowners do it. So, and then eventually, you know, they keep cutting in the same spot year after year after year. You get these big knuckles. You Look get like this, my hands. Yeah, they just get a big <laughs> knuckle right there. So what we're saying is when you finally get to that point, I mean, they're, just go out there and cut the knuckle off. Mm-hmm. Cut below the knuckle. Cut right. that thing off of there. Right. That way you don't produce as many of those little whimsy limblets that come off this thing. And you if know? you just cut it at an angle... So that um, all of the hormones gather at one point, yeah. you're not going to get 25 breaks mm-hmm. around the, the that trunk. Is, that right. is the most amazing thing. Is everybody you know? just straight, straight across? across. Yeah, so as, as those hormones are moving upwards, they accumulate there and form new buds all the way around that cut. But if you'll just cut it, you know, and if look look at the crepe myrtle, uh, where, where, you know, if you want to see it or if you want it seen from the street and cut on the backside, you know, and cut. What do you mean by that? Okay, all right. if you've got um, if all right, you've got a crepe myrtle in your backyard yes. that you're looking at, you yes. don't care what other people do. Okay. Then you want to get on the backside and cut upward and then cut down so that it's the point is on the front. That's where the hormones will gather. And the point. The point is get. on the outside. It's on the exterior. So when, uh, when you're cutting. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. it's going to be right in front of you. Okay. The highest point. Okay. Gotcha. You know, by cutting downward on the back, then the hormones will gather right there, and you'll get a break and right there. And when you look at it, it will be difficult to tell that it's been trimmed. It'll oh, still be it. fairly straight. So cutting it at an angle, but leaving the high point of the angle to the outside. To the yeah, outside. Exactly. Right. So you know, and that's just proper pruning of a crepe mm-hmm. myrtle. Uh, you know, very few things do we want to just whack off, you know, flat. Uh, it's well, hold not, on, Jim. The landscapers do it that way. <laughs> oh, well, <they're, laughs> and they also do volcano mulch, too. Exactly. <laughs> that term right there is uh, <laughs> is incorrect. Because I said landscapers, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, um, it, it's, you know, but they'll do it because... The homeowners want it that way. They, you know, they want to cut it down, and they don't know any better. Well, uh, we had last year. My daughter. Well, I planted crepe myrtles at my daughter's house when she bought it like twenty years ago. Over, over, um, and they're up. You know, fifteen, eighteen feet tall now. Mm-hmm. They're beautiful, but they had gotten too twiggy. You know, mm-hmm. they had pretty much single trunks or multiple trunks. 
but it had a guy come in, a uh, real nice guy who's an excellent landscaper, just, you know, uh, and he went in there and trimmed it and took all the little twigs off, left it upright. It yeah. was beautiful when it was done, you know, yeah. and done properly. So, yeah. Yeah, it, we used to get jobs to prune crepe myrtles because of the fact how we could make them look great and airy without chopping them in Right, half. you can reduce yeah. the height and still do it right, you mm-hmm. know, without making it look like crepe myrtle. Yeah, and then you don't have to go out there. A lot of people are under this false illusion that they have to go out there and cut their crepe myrtle mm-hmm. back every year. Yeah, and most Absolutely. of the varieties, you really don't want to do that. Right, yeah. uh, that's right. All of the ones that Carl Wickham has introduced, like dynamite and, and all those, they bloom best on two-year-old wood. So you don't want to go in there other than just do some tw- twig trimming or crossing limbs or something mm-hmm. like that. So, Well, they're getting less. We have to go out there this year. And yeah. do some Cut pretty severe pruning, right, and we'll, time will tell. Now, Jim and Veda, could the same thing happen on our crepe myrtles? We get that beautiful, nice flush of growth this spring. Absolutely. And then as soon as it starts to get hot, we can see that yeah. decline. Yep. yep. Hey, see, what was that reason um, when we had the ice snow two years ago, I think? And mm-hmm. it seemed like it happened mostly on the standard crepe myrtles that um, – they they curled in. The yeah, the tops will. Oh, do that was that. horrible when looking. You get yeah. freeze Inverted. damage on like that. You'll yeah. see them curl inward at the top. Yeah, and that's that's never a good sign. Right, because yeah. they didn't come back out. Uh-huh. Now, a lot of people go in there and just cut all that stuff out of there, but it was kind of a witch's broom looking look yeah. on crepe myrtles. I'm like, what in the heck is going on? I've never seen it like quite like that mm-hmm. before. And a lot of that tissue was damaged. And now, having said that, though, I know a lot of crepe myrtles that did look that way. People went out there. They had to cut them back, of course. But they did come back out. Yeah. yeah. There's other, uh, you know, I, I like looking at other people's yards, you know, as I'm driving around. And there's another house not far from where I live that has four um, standard crepe myrtles in the little hill strip, Which is a single know. trunk coming out of the ground. Right, and then a big ball on the top. Yeah. And in that freeze, they lost about half of the ball. Yeah. So, and even now, I, I want to go in there and trim it because it's got it's got green growth and then dead stuff sticking That's, out of the top. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. We'll be right back. <laughs> Gardeners, welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You can give us a call, 901-260-5926. You can listen to our podcast anytime, and you can stream us online. Uh, you can put uh, post a question on Facebook Live, yep. or you can go to mid- the Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening's USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. Do you have 9 on there? No. Okay. Uh, I did it one time, but I took it Yeah, off. 9. Yeah, we don't really... Do I don't know. It seems like our stuff. zone's changing from 7 to 7A to 7B. Now, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at the zone map, the city of Memphis is a little dot right there, and some of those even say zone 8. I know, and let's see. I think <coughs> when we started gardening, it was, uh, we were 6B, maybe, <laughs> 6A, 6B. I don't remember that far back. <laughs> <laughs> no? no it, used, it used to be the, uh, kind of the Wolf River was the the break between zone a, 7A and 7B. Mm. Um, but now, uh, depends on who you look at, you know, the, the um, what American Horticultural Society or something mm-hmm. did one and they actually put all of Shelby County in zone eight, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, 
Uh, Well, they adopted it. It was actually funded for the Department of Agriculture, but once it was done, they didn't like it, so they didn't accept it. (laughs) Oh, I don't like this. (laughs) So they had it redone again, you know. Well, the first one took into consideration heat islands from cities and that sort of thing. So so anyway, we were for a while in, in Zone 8A, and then we got put back into 7B. I so, forgot about that. So they did yeah. a map, and it took in, like you said, in consideration the heat islands, right? Which I think is a which good the thing. asphalt, you know, the streets, yeah. the parking lots, the buildings. I mean, it is a little heat collector. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, inside the loop, um, it is considerably warmer than say at the is. airport when they yeah. when they actually give the you know the temperature out yeah, there. Yeah, because actually, like for y'all, you got Dan West on Poplar and then Dan West out almost in Fayette in County 64, on sixty four, right. and y'all will exa- uh, experience a, a little difference. bit different. Mm-hmm. And because I remember when I lived out in Rossville, and then we had we did the show on Bill Street. Mm-hmm. And it would be a five degree temperature change oh my coming from Rossville to, and that makes a big difference in winter. Huge. Five degrees. I re- well, I remember yeah. when Nicole, my daughter, was playing soccer many years ago, and we would go out to Mike Rhodes, you know, on a weekly basis, sometimes, you know, two or, two or three times a week, and watch her play soccer. And I promise you, if you were comfortable on Poplar Avenue, you better take a parka out. <laughs> it was the craziest, weirdest thing. That is the to me is the coldest spot in Tennessee is Mike Rhodes soccer, and I guess because you know your the elevation's a little lower, mm-hmm. uh, it seems like it was always a little m- wind. The wind yeah. blows like crazy out there, but Veda, I'm telling you, I mean, it, and I made the comment about it every time mm-hmm. I went out there. I'm like, this place is yeah. haunted. This is haunted, cold, haunted with so don't think. I mean, there's a big difference. I mean, I'm talking about just from where your house is down the road to someone else's yeah. house. These microclimates, they are for real. So I'm you could you. grow you a lilac over there yes, at the you soccer could. field, but at Poplar, you couldn't Great grow Great myrtles, that's right. <laughs> yeah, great myrtles. Yeah. All right, so. let's see. Let's take a call. Let's go to... See if he's ready. From now, hey, still me, on the phone. I got a yeah, question go then. What you know? We were talking about the zone, uh, zone seven A, seven B, zone eight. Mm-hmm. Why, what does that mean for people that are listening that don't know what a zone means? Well, it means that your average temperature, if you're going from uh, like seven to eight, is ten degrees warmer in eight than it is in seven. As far as an overall temperature, Jim, like a yearly temperature. temperature. Yeah. When you start talking about A and B, there's about a five degree difference there. So, you know, if you're in 7B, I think it's 0 to 10 degrees is where your normal uh, average low temperature is going to be. Gotcha. Um, but it's um, but it's pretty important, though, to pay attention to people that it, don't know what they're putting in the ground. Yeah, and it's soil it's, temperature here has as much to do with anything. You know, uh, with the hardiness of a plant, uh, more so than the cold. Now, you know, if we get normal fall temperatures getting cooler, you know, it it tells the plant, hey, it's getting winter time, and it starts setting up defenses that will help get it through the winter. Um, but when we have warm temperatures, you know, and then suddenly it just plummets, uh, it's just not ready. That's where the damage is. That's called right. no zone. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no zone for the. We're in a no zone area. No Normally doubt. all that water is sucked out of the foliage and, and down into the root systems and stored there through the wintertime. Um, 
Well, but that's exactly what we saw happen to our plants this year. You know, right. two days before it got down to zero, it was, I mean, it was, what, 55 degrees out there, 56 degrees? Yeah. Two days later, you're down to zero? These plants can't take that. No. Hey, remember the heat zone map? Is there still, is the heat zone There, there still map is one, still you know. being used. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it was originally put out by Sunset or something yeah. like that. Yeah, so um, it would like and it, it's exactly the same thing it just talks about the average high temperature mm-hmm. you know because there's some plants like lilacs don't like the heat mm-hmm. uh, particularly you know you've got a lot of plants that don't like the warm ground temperature during the night um, that really plays havoc on yeah. them so it can so. be in our cold hardy zone right but it may not survive in our heat hardy zone <laughs> right <laughs> that's it's, another reason why it's so challenging it, it, that's why you know i tell tell people we're just too far north for a lot of plants and too far south for everything else <laughs> <laughs> and like mr paul used to always say you know we definitely live in the black hole of horticulture it's hard if you can grow anything here in shelby county you can grow yeah. it anywhere in the world that's right if it's going to get a fungus it will do it here yeah that's a good that's that's it exactly um let's go to jan calling from east memphis good morning jan you're in the mid-south garden good morning hey you all hey jan good morning to you buddy well it's uh it's kind of a dire uh dire morning of news for plants yeah Uh, well you know we not if you're a nurseryman (laughs) you hear that don't you (laughs) that leads leads up to my question Mm -hmm. uh now my question was uh we're all going to be uh, kind of trying to go through the door at the same time in terms of probably doing a lot of ordering of plants. And mm-hmm. I hope that my I hope that my question is is that that the nurseries uh, are, I mean that you all buy from uh, the supply of plants mm-hmm. is what I'm saying is is it may be hard to to replace things as we would like to because of so many people are going to be in need of replanting well it's not only that jan but also you know this really cold weather that we had a couple weeks ago uh it didn't stop here in shelby county i mean it went almost all the way down to the coast and you know a lot of these huge growers you know these huge nurseries that you see out there especially down in alabama uh you know most of those plants are exposed they're outside so you know there could be some damage done on those so you know, it's going to be one of those crazy years of kind of wait and see. Two things, I think. One, we got to wait and see if, if our plants do flush back out, Jan, and how much, you know, damage we actually have on them. And then secondly, you know, the plants that we do want to replace, are they going to be available? I mean, it's, yeah. it's going to be challenging. Now, let me ask you a question, Jan, while I got you on the phone. I know you've had this beautiful 30-year-old gardenia uh, you know, forever. In fact, you've been nice enough to bring us floating gardenia blooms at the store from time to time. What about your gardenia that you've had for so many years? Well, it, it does not look good with mm-hmm. the leaves, and uh, I, I hope the longevity of it and the location of it, uh, you know, will maybe save it. But as y'all said, we, we won't know for, I guess, a good while. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, and I would like to know, I, I guess there's absolutely nothing we can do at this point in time, uh, or is there, as far as any kind of fertilizer or anything that, as it gets warmer, to nurse mm-hmm. it a little bit? Yeah, I think when it definitely gets warmer, we could do root stimulators or compost. Or you could do compost now. Um, you know, some things to just give it a little more energy to go ahead and recover. But at, the, at today, at this point, yeah, we and just I, think and we'll I, I wouldn't fertilize until we get on into April on pretty much right. anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
it survived the one uh, the previous cold, uh, mm-hmm. but I did get some covering over it, and I didn't have time to do it this time. Mm-hmm. But that plant literally is uh, thirty to thirty-five years old. Wow. That's mm-hmm. wild. Yeah, and, and, and Jan, like you said, being so established and being there that long, you know you're going to have a really good root system down there. And the worst-case scenario, and I hope it doesn't even come to this, but I still think the worst-case scenario is that, you know, it got really killed back, maybe even to the ground, but it's going to come back from the root. Hopefully it didn't even get killed back to the ground. Right. Uh, well, it's a funny story uh, with talking about, you know, this is not the most ideal <laughs> place that, that, you know, we're too far north and we're too far south. For everything else. But when my son was like eight years old, uh, he, I was introducing him to yard work, and he, <laughs> he made a statement to me. That he said, Dad, I think when I grow up, I'm just going to make my yard concrete painted green. Yes, <laughs> yes. That's what my, my son, when he was eight, he said, Mom, I'm, I'm definitely going to do something else and not do this job. Concrete rubber bands, <laughs> low maintenance. Right. Yeah, I, ironically, ironically now he's gotten into, you know, plants and a yard and landscape. Oh, and, that's and he cute. probably loves, yeah. Janie, he probably loves doing it just like uh-huh. his daddy does. Oh, he enjoys it. He does enjoy it now, but I have to remind him at one point that he, <laughs> yes, make sure you keep reminding him that. That is so cute. <laughs> but uh, we all have spring to look forward to, and we always look forward to you all show uh, every every Saturday, and it's so informative, and we all are now faced with a lot of challenges. Yeah, we and, are, uh, Jan. Landscape is one of them, and right. let's just hope. Hope the good Lord's on our side. That's right, Amen. buddy. Yes. Well, Jan, thank you, buddy. Always a pleasure. Come see me when you get a chance, and I always go Bulldogs, right? Thank you. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. Where Where are the Bulldogs going? Oh, Jim, Mississippi State. I know. No, man. <laughs> but okay, it, but, it's, so, true, but um, it's true, though. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, you hate to see it. I mean, we all hate to see it. I mean, we don't see things. Well, like Jim said, that's nursery <laughs> don't. But we're going to go though. to a break, and then we'll, we'll talk more about the availability of shrubs and yeah. all. We'll be right back after these messages. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Garden. We'll talk more about plants, but oh my gosh, y'all, Plants Delight Nursery. Got my catalog yesterday. Yeah, I see, I'm yeah, looking through, yeah. looking on my phone catalog, mm-hmm. and this one, oh, Helleborus Golden Lotus. Yes. Did you see that one already? Mm-hmm. That's insanely uh, amazing. Looking at it when I was in the, sitting in the car out front a little while ago. Oh. I know, isn't it crazy? We're we're up here at five forty-five or so, and then we're sitting in our car still reading gardening. Before <laughs> Looking at some nice catalog there, Jim. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So we probably won't see the golden lotus available in retail. Well, unless you've think? got somebody that's you know ordering it and growing it on. Well, so we don't have what is that good, anymore because yeah. you're not doing it, and you were the one growing the the different stuff. The different lotus and yeah. aquatic plants. No, this well, one's the Helleborus called yeah. Sunset oh, Lotus. Sunset Lotus. Yeah. Okay. Now, does it have a yellowish bloom oh, on it? Yeah, it's it just does. you know, it almost looks like a moss rose or rose moss or portulaca. Any of those. Above. You know, think. Remember, guys, twenty years ago when we said Linton Rose or Helleborus, mm-hmm. we were thinking about. Basically, one yeah. Linton rose or Helleborus. I mean, honestly. Yeah, well, like a hydrangea and an abelia. We just thought about one. Yeah, and, and now there are so many mm-hmm. different hybrids out there on the market, which I think is great, by the way, first of all. 
uh, hellebores and, one, and Linton rose, they're tough as everything. They grow in the shade. They they love to propagate. Now, the hybrids, not as much as the originals, you know, the old uh, ones yeah, that we grew up with. Most of those don't seed very well. Exactly. But uh, they will move around to some extent, especially the old ones, Jim. You know, they don't grow that slow from seeds. They're actually a good, you get, yeah. I mean, the little bitty seedlets that yeah, come they, up. Out yeah. When I was at the Botanic Garden, man, they just come up everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because then you could just lift them out of the Particularly soil. Particularly along the drainage ditches. Oh, really? Where water would carry the seed down and you'd yeah. get little hellebores coming up all in the rocks mm-hmm. and stuff. So oh, It's beautiful. one of my favorite shade-loving perennials. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and since he has no shade, he doesn't grow any. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I don't. I have Except no shade. I have an idea for your tree. I was actually... I know she's going to say. Was, she could say a chainsaw with a brand you saw well, on it. Well, no. It was who? It was an architect. I mean, a landscape designer, gardener. You know, not just a designer that picks five shrubs and puts them in everything. And then, hey, let me say this. We're talking about the tree that's in my front yard right, that I have despised huge. for the last 20 years. Does it yes. match Tennessee landscape. State tree. Yeah, Tennessee yeah. State's tree, a tulip popper. Too big for your yard, yep. quote unquote, too big for your yard. Well, um, so he gardens a beautiful landscape, but he had three trees that, were got larger than they were supposed to they were blocking his vision of the mountain actually he cut them down he cut but what he did was he cut them down you know like to the ground was one and another was maybe six inches from the ground and he's letting the trees grow back like as as a bush wow and he's letting them grow a little bit taller where you still see that that in the landscape but he keeps them topped so like the smoke tree even Mm. he's doing that and so it's still in his landscape. He didn't get rid of it. Mm-mm. And, of course, he's added some more maintenance to his project. But well, a lot of people do that just because they can't afford to have the stone taken out. Yes. <laughs> there exactly. you go. So there you go, Kenneth. No. Nope. Just cut nope. it in half. Nope. If I ever get this thing down, if I ever get to a point where it's okay for me to cut this thing down, mm-hmm. I'm not going to give it a chance to come back. Oh, Kenneth. I'm trying to <laughs> meet you in the middle here. And, and then cut I, it in half. And, and this week, I even back. thought of a, or last week, whenever it was, maybe last Saturday, I thought of a, another reason I don't like this tree in my front yard. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know why it dawned on me, because it's, it's common sense. A year ago, I got a pressure washer and washed pressure washed my driveway, okay? Mm-hmm. That had almost turned, you don't even notice it till it's so yeah. bad. It was a brownie black color. Mm-hmm. Pea gravel, wash pea gravel, okay? So I got the pressure washer in and cleaned the thing down. Well, now I can already see little blackish, moldy. You from know, your tree, growth, it's the sap coming. Well, you know from what, the your tree just said, "Excuse me, yep. yeah, for shading you. your mm-hmm. house," and you're going to get mad at me for a little sap on the sidewalk. <laughs> That's what I heard that tree say. <laughs> well, but I already got a pre-notion of what I think about the tree, right? You know, I understand the sap on the car though. That's difficult. I don't care about the car. <laughs> the driveway because <laughs> you can do the car through the car wash but you physically have to clean the driveway what we need is a dwarf tulip popper is all we need well there's one called little volunteer uh, that's oh, the one see really yeah. do we even do we sell it do we yeah i did uh well, a number of years ago got it from a from a wholesaler over in middle tennessee and see oh the, i get it little volunteer volunteer, volunteer, volunteer state. state there you go Veda. and it volunteered yeah right? and it, i think it's got a maximum height of around 50 feet but it's very oh, slow no. growing <laughs> Well, that's that's not that's big little. for a tree. This is true. You know, just two feet. I think the the state, well, the U.S. record. There's a tulip poplar over in um, uh, South Carolina that's a little over two hundred feet what? tall. 
Yeah, like two twelve or something yeah. like that. Thank you wow. for that, Jim. You're welcome. And how tall is yours? Is yours, is yours even fifty feet? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, I mean, oh it, that's what I see way down the road. Yeah, I mean it's tree? and it's you know I'm not I love tulip poppers. Don't get me wrong. If they're in the right spot, uh, but this I'm, I've said it a million times. This tree is in the wrong spot. Now it does what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. It shades the front of that house that faces dead west, and yeah. it does a beautiful job of that. But there's one thing that's standing in his way from doing anything with that tree. And her name is Gina. Her name is Gina. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Gina. Just keep it up, Gina. So we said said this last, you know, weekend is really important to think about when you start planting trees. I mean, think about it for a minute because when we put this beautiful little tree in, it's only 10 foot tall, you can put it anywhere you want. Years down the road, you know, that thing tends to grow a little bit. Well, that makes me think, too, about how y'all we need to really stress on what dwarf means. Because like yeah. you said, oh, there's a there's a smaller tulip poplar called, you know, a little volunteer. See, to me, dwarf is 10 to 12 foot. Right. And then, you know, you go and it gets 50 feet. And we're laughing. Yeah, but, it, oh, that's know, a dwarf, slow but that's getting there. dwarf yes. to a poplar. That's a dwarf that tree. That is a dwarf tree. Like a yeah. crepe myrtle. They get 20 or 30 feet tall. We sell the dwarfs that get 10 feet. Right. You we know, sell, that's it. We have some that only get 18 to 24 inches right. tall. and we call yeah. those minis. Right. Yeah, so dwarf sometimes is just relevant to how big the shrub gets in the first place. <laughs> well, it's a very relative term. Yeah. The, uh, the Natchez, the original ones that were done by the USDA. And that's the white blooming crepe myrtle. Right, they're uh, at the, at the uh, Harvard does it. Their office in Maryland, <laughs> mouth's not working this morning. Um, the original ones are over 50 feet tall. You know, of the Natchez? Of the Natchez. Oh, Here, geez. you know, we see them 25 to 30 mm, usually yeah, is about know. max, but they um, they can get quite large. Good so. Lord. I mean, wow, see, I wouldn't, you yeah. know, you don't, I don't think about that either when I think about a crepe myrtle. Mm-hmm. You know, getting that yeah. that big, that that massive. So I always think. I remember grandmother had one, and it was pink. Uh, it was a straight up one, not a weeping. And I look back and go, that thing was massive. Yeah. But I was small then. Well, but so how big was that crepe myrtle? Oh no! Drive around town and look. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some crepe myrtles out there that have tree trunks on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, yeah. you know, they used to have multi-trunks. They've all fused together to make this big yeah. trunk. I mean, yeah. they are massive. I mean, these crepe myrtles are mm-hmm. huge. And, Jim, I think, like you're saying, most of them that I see that are that big and they're really old are white. They could mm-hmm. be some of those, you know. Originals, yeah. When when I moved to Bryan College Station in that area, Brazos County, they called it the crepe myrtle capital of the world. I see. I thought, honestly, I thought Memphis would be. Well, Seriously. I don't, you know, that's what they were saying in Texas, yeah. but that does not really mean uh. that it was the truth. But I mean, I don't know. But crepe myrtle, but every, almost every color was the Tuscarora. Of yeah. all the crepe mm-hmm. myrtles that were available out there was the Tuscarora. And that, what color was that? The, the lavender, the pink, purple, pinkish? The dark pinkish yeah. one. It was everywhere. So um, when I came to Memphis, uh, the the white ones really stood out because of the canopy and the, the beauty of it. But we have done an hour. Wow, we have two more to go. We've got guests coming in the second hour. Yeah, I think they're already here. Uh, we're going to introduce Miss Jan Dickey, new president of the Memphis Area Master Gardens. We'll be right back. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder.
Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Center. I've got Ms. Veda with Palladio Gardens here, but also Ms. Veda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we've sent got, Jim downstairs We first. did send yeah, him downstairs. Yeah, we sent him downstairs, but... But we also have Ms. Jan Dickey, the new president of the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. Hey, Jan. Good morning to you, Jan. <laughs> good morning. Thanks for having me. All right, let me ask you this. You know, president comes with a lot of responsibilities, right? Mm-hmm. A few. (laughs) Tell me about the Memphis Area Master Gardeners and you being president, and what are the the responsibilities of of being a president? Well, the responsibilities of the president are really a lot of fun. We just get to sit back and make sure everybody else does what they're supposed to do. Well, that's the job position that I want when I get in there. Absolutely, absolutely. It's been great, and particularly when you're with a group such as ours who Mm -hmm. are so ready, willing, and able to get out there and do. And we have talent, from yeah. computer talent to digging in the dirt to counting money. <laughs> well, you uh, have to have so much, m- many more talents oh, to be in, in the garden industry because you also have to figure out how to do Facebook and Instagram and websites. Well, but you also have to have a great support group. And, and that's what do. Jan's mm-hmm. talking about. And to my right over here, I've got Jamie Childers here, who's, uh, who's great. Of course, he's a member of the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. Long-time member. Long-time member. And then we also have a young lady behind me here. And what was her name? Her name is Debbie Hill. And you were bragging about Debbie a while ago. Absolutely. Debbie's one of my right-hand people. She's always there, always oh, ready so. to do whatever we ask her to do. So y'all are just having too much fun together. Then. Oh, absolutely. Okay, wait a minute. And how many members are in the Memphis, well, I say members, active <laughs> members in the Memphis Area Master Gardeners now? Because I know that when you go through the program and have right. a great time doing it and have all the support in the world, like you said, once you're done with the program, then the beauty of it is you're putting in your volunteer hours. Correct. And I've always said that is the most wonderful setup known to man because they're still active in the community, in the gardening community. And to me, that's one of the most important aspects of all of this. But how many members, guys, or is, is there a number of how many people are active out there doing the volunteer work of the Memphis Area Master Gardeners? We I mean, is it hundreds, thousands? Oh, we don't have an exact count, but we're going to say 400 plus. We have a class in now that's there's 44 members in the new intern class that will graduate in april or they'll graduate in august they'll finish their class in april and we have thousands of volunteer hours that we do Mm -hmm. and this year our focus is more and more volunteer hours so i have set the challenge (laughs) for everyone to add at least one new project this year something they haven't done before so they can get out and explore and see what else is out there because there's a lot out there. Yes, it is. And, Jan, for people that are just listening and they, let's just say they don't know anything about the Memphis Area Master Gardeners, but they want to become involved, okay? I mean, how, do, how does someone do that? What's the best way to get the ball rolling? Well, it's, it's great to talk to another Master Gardener if mm-hmm. you know one. You can go on the website. We have the uh, Memphis Area Master Gardener website that you can Google and pull up. has mm-hmm. a lot of information. Typically, the application for the class comes out around June. Okay. And then you have until, I believe it's August the 1st, to get that application. And it varies a little from year to year. Now, is that for that same year or is that for the next year? It's for the next year. Wow. So I'm thinking I should go to the site now and go ahead (laughs) and fill out my application (laughs) because don't y'all always have to 
have a overly full class so you have to bump people to the next year this year we had well over a hundred i believe it was about 130 applicants and we selected 44 good lord so 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 there's no openings for a couple of years (laughs) well they actually you have to reapply the next Mm, year so we don't hold people over but you do get a little more preference if you have applied before now and but there's no reason whatsoever if somebody's listening to this going well i don't know if i can get in well, there's, of course you can get in. Anybody can get in. Absolutely. I'm on the bo- uh, the committee that interviews the applicants. Mm. Everybody has a chance, and everybody is viewed with, with equality. Yeah. Um, of course, we, one thing, and we tell everybody this is no secret, come in and be prepared to volunteer because that's what yeah. we are. That's our mission statement, and we're going to get out there and be in the community. Yeah, I can that's see, good. you know, if you so. go in there and you sit down and you're being interviewed, uh-huh. okay, and they say, well, okay, well, what do you think about volunteer work? If you're not like, hey, I love volunteering, you know, mm-hmm. I can't wait to volunteer, I love giving back, if you say all those right things, you're in, okay? Right. But if you get in there and go, look, I don't have time to doing volunteering, mm-hmm. Then you might have a, that have might be wait. the only time yeah. that you have a hard time getting in. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. All right. So, all right. So, what about some of the events that are coming up? I mean, you know, the great tomato contest. In fact, we've got a gentleman coming in this month that won a lot of the awards last mm-hmm. year that from the great tomato contest, which is going to be fun. We're going to try to shake the uh, secrets out of him. But what other events can people look forward to? Uh, this year that has something to do with the Memphis Area Master Gardeners? Well, actually, in two weeks, we're having one of our biggest events. It's called Master Gardener Presents. And this is a good time for the public to come and see what Master Gardeners are really all about. We bring it, we, we develop a topic, then we open it to Master Gardeners and all public that wants to come. We have speakers. It lasts from 9 o'clock till noon. This year it's February the 18th. February the 18th? February the 18th. That's at the Botanic Gardens? At the Botanic Gardens in the Goldsmith Room. There is no pre-registration. You'll register on site. And as an addition, we are asking people to bring food for the food bank. We're going to do a food bank collection, and if you bring five items Mm -hmm. to the food bank, then you'll get a ticket to enter in our door prizes, and and we have quite a few door prizes. All right, so this uh, Master Gardeners Presents, and they just got it up on the computer there, February 18th, you said from 9 to 12 at the Botanic Gardens in the Goldsmiths Room. Right. What is the, and of course, people need to bring food to stock up the food bank. Correct. Which I think is great. Uh, what is the what is the topic? Do we know what the topic is going to be, or is it going to be multiple topics? There, we have two speakers this year, two well known speakers in the mid south, uh, and the topic which came about, and actually Jamie helped us. This was his idea off the off the get go, uh, is to talk about our changing climates. What happened? You know, there's so many questions about the cold snap oh, and. Yeah. December and is it alive or is it dead do we cut it down do we leave it so we have two speakers and both of their focus is going to be on that particular topic later we need to be there I'm telling you oh please that's all we've been talking about for the last month is what are we gonna do yeah is it alive is it dead should we do we leave it alone do we cut it back do we dig it up right but you're right that's on everybody's mind right now that is and I will be MC of that program so we're gonna laugh too 
We love to laugh. So we're going to have laughs. And the last hour of the presentation is going to be a roundtable where we're going to get the audience involved. And we're going to bring Dr. Chris Cooper as well as our two speakers up to answer questions Mm -hmm. from the audience. So people that want to know why they're... Cuba doesn't look like it did last year. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. we'll get them an answer. And, and so I'm, you don't you don't have to be a master gardener to attend this. This is open to everyone. This is one of our public outreaches. We want a lot of the public to be there. We want to rise and shine and help them out and get them yeah. interested. You know, so, Beta, and I've always said this, and Jan, that honestly, if there's ever a question to be asked, there's an answer out there. <laughs> Uh, but so many. But, but my, my point <laughs> so though yeah, is, there's, an there's so many different outlets for us uh-huh. now to get an answer. Oh yeah, you this know whether true. it's you know the Memphis area master gardeners, mm-hmm. uh, you know the different uh, presentations they have out there. Whether it's Jim Crowder's Facebook page, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's the garden centers, people calling up to ask about. I mean, like I said, it, the information is out there. It's just a matter of asking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, the the Memphis area master gardeners to me, is all about the information. Okay? Yeah, because they get the calendar. Y'all do the calendar. That is just packed full of information. It really is. It's totally worth it because there's so many resources, and they're trusted resources, and they're local resources, and that's always my issue is – can I trust what I just read, and is it for my area? Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, I know we got to go to a break, Miss Veda. She usually tells everybody this. Uh, we'll be back after these messages, but also when we get back, Miss Jan – what about the younger people? I want to yeah, ask you a couple question. questions about mm-hmm. the kids also. Yep. Okay. So guys, right. we'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can be here with us today. We've got an interesting show. Kenneth, you brought us some guests up here. Well, I did. I, I think you had something to do with this also. We've got the new president of the Memphis Area Master Gardeners, um, Miss Jan Dickey, she's wonderful, guys. If you ever meet her in person, you want to be a member just because of her. And we've got the supporting group up here. We've got uh, Jan and, and Jan's wife, uh, or Jan's husband, Jamie. And we've got a young lady behind me, and I keep forgetting her name. Debbie Hill. Miss Debbie Hill, who is here for support. And you said you couldn't do your job without Debbie. Absolutely so. not. And, of course, without Jamie. So um, we were talking about the, the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. And it's a to me, it's a wonderful big deal does that make sense (laughs) because there again i'll go the people that go through the memphis area master gardeners one of the things they do when they graduate is they start doing the volunteer work and to me that's what it's all about and that's what makes the 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 engine run i'm telling you um but like i said we've got uh miss miss jan up here the new president jan and your presidency lasts for how long if you don't mind me asking the actual presidency is one year but it's a three-year commitment you start as vice president and then you serve as president, and then you're kind of uh, a consult person after that. You stay on the executive board for a, an additional year. So this no, is a, like that. Yeah, yeah. three-year thing because, right. there again, once you become president and that term is over with, they still want you available right? You know, to help maybe the other one coming in. Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. God. And you mentioned, um, you know, we've got a uh, – the Memphis Area Master Gardeners is presenting. Veda, what's that? What was that called? Um, oh, the um, da, da, da. the Master Gardeners present. Yeah, at right. the Botanic Gardens, and you said the date was uh, February the eighteenth, and that was from nine to twelve. And you made a comment about having two wonderful speakers, uh, Miss Jan. Who were those speakers? 
Dr. Lila Kelly, who uh, Dr. I've heard the Ke- name. Yeah. Oh, she's on Family Plot. For all those that watch Family Plot, she's frequently there. Uh, she's retired from the uh, Mississippi State University, where mm-hmm. she was over the the Master Gardener program mm-hmm. there. A lot of horticulture going on down there, a Mississippi lot of State. It. Yes, and, ma'am. And she's a true Southern belle. She's she's great. She's she spoke for the Master Gardeners last year, and I had more comments about her and can we get her back so okay. she's good y'all, she's y'all good sounds like there's some interesting stuff and then the right. other is carol reese who i think We've everybody yeah everybody in the mid-south mm-hmm. knows carol yeah. she doesn't need an introduction but she brings com- comedy as well mm-hmm. as wisdom to everything she does and, and and that's the one thing that's coming up right here this month and then what about, do we have a guideline, or I guess can we look in the calendar, the, uh, the Memphis Area Master Gardener calendar, to see the other events that are coming up through the year? Yes, you can. Two of our big events are TOG, Through Our Garden Gates, and that, again, is open to the public. Uh, we invite everybody to come. They pick specific mm-hmm. yards that mm-hmm. are uh, you can tour so that's it's been a huge that's great. success over the he, years. Oh, wonderful! And then we have Spring Fling in March, which is again open to the public. It's at the Red Barn at the Ag Center. Just a small little fling there, guys. Oh, wow! Huge. <laughs> it's it's wonderful. We have again we have speakers. I think they've got five speakers on board. This year their focus is pollinators, which we're all interested mm-hmm. in. Yes, so we we've are. got. Uh, one of the speakers that comes to mind is Jason Reeves, mm-hmm. which a lot of people know about, and Felder Rushing is going to oh, be nice. there. So beside the speakers. big names. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Beside the speakers, we have uh, children's tents. Uh, they can plant seeds. They can do crafts. Uh, we have Recycle Right, which helps us with all of our trash mm-hmm. turned to treasures. And we have <laughs> vendors. Uh, vendors galore, all types of plants, as well as our own homegrown plants from our master gardeners. And every time I hear the word spring fling, mm-hmm. you know, it makes me think back uh, of Paul Mr. Little. Mr. Paul, yes. You know, they're out there huddled around this 50-gallon drum with wood in there and a fire coming out of mm-hmm. it, you know, for spring fling. And they because, always have the coldest spot in the whole place, Well, he, he always claimed that they put him in a tent that had a breeze through it yeah. that was always the coldest tent. <laughs> right. I don't right. know if we believe all of that, Ms. Veda. <laughs> But it, it, it's a wonderful thing. Both of those are through our garden gates, of course, and then Spring Fling. And through our garden gates, like you said, you have members out there. or not members. You have the public that opens their landscapes for everyone to come through and take a tour. And I've always said there's no better way to landscape your own place than walking through other people's mm-hmm. places and see right. what their landscape right. is. You can get some great ideas. you're always like, whoa, I didn't know it got that big. Or, whoa, does it do that later? Now, Veda yeah. didn't tell me about this plan over here. Yeah, you know? right, right. And there's no better compliment to someone than have someone copy what you've done. No doubt about so it. it's a win-win situation. And then, Jan, guys, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Miss Jan Dickey here. She's the new president of the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. Wonderful lady, by the way. Uh, Jan, you know, one of the things that uh, we also like about the Memphis Area Master Gardeners is the uh, the effect that it has on the young ones, the children. Absolutely. Uh, so so kind of get into what, what do we do as Memphis Area Master Gardeners to bring those along, those the young kids along also? Right. 
We have a great youth education program, and it has grown so much that we have subcategories under that. Unbelievable. Uh, summertime, we have our plant camp, which is at the Ag Center, which is a program. The kids go to camp. They see everything from bats to butterflies to gardening. They pick their own produce at the end mm-hmm. of the camp. But even more so than that, we have year-long programs at the schools now. We're going out. We're teaching the children what dirt or soil actually (laughs) is, how many organisms are in that. Mm -hmm. And it's a touch and a feel and a a slide presentation. And once we've been to one school, all of a sudden the next school calls and the next school calls. So we put out a call to our members in january Mm -hmm. saying help Mm -hmm. you know we need help Mm -hmm. we announced it at our meeting and immediately got five new volunteers to go out to the schools of course so our youth program is growing and it's it's great that's good good. we need that we definitely need that because uh if you start young it's always in your system yeah, no, you just can't get rid of it. But like Jan just said, you know, when we go out there and dig in the dirt as a kid, you know, we're just digging in the dirt. Yeah. We don't realize that that is a living organism that we're digging into, you no, know? No, not at all. And, and to find that out, I mean, it's like a, a new world, if you will. Uh, so I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. But like you were saying, Veda, especially to bring the young ones along at a young age. And once you get them, you know, addicted to the dirt, they're there forever. Right. You know, yeah. they're their future gardeners, you know, so I think that is a great thing. Yeah, well, y'all should definitely check out the website, the Memphis Area Master Gardeners, because it's full of information, too, because everything that you're telling us is on the site. So if you're not remembering what what she's saying, you can go back and listen to the podcast or look on their website because uh, it's got everything that's going on. And I love the pictures that y'all post, like this cute little kid in his mask in front of this gorgeous garden. It's all about the kids. And, and then, mm-hmm. you know, and one of the things that people usually don't like to talk about, Jan, is what about the cost involved, okay? Uh, and I know that it's nominal, okay? But I right. want people to hear that. <laughs> when someone wants to be a Memphis Area Master Gardener, they want to do it, okay? And they're thinking, oh, my Lord, can I even afford this? What would you say? Oh, it's very affordable. I believe, and I may be a few dollars off, but I believe there was a $175 fee Uh, to be in the class itself but that covers all your materials your books your lectures everything you need and then uh, if you're sitting down I'll tell you how much our (laughs) yearly dues are to be a master gardener which I became a master gardener in 2003 Mm. and our dues are still the same wow we pay an an astronomical amount of twenty dollars a year (laughs) thank god I was sitting down (laughs) you think she warned you (laughs) right and uh, and we do phenomenal things with that money of course we do earn money Uh, we have two fundraisers a year one is our calendar Mm -hmm. which if you didn't get the calendar this year guys watch for it next year it is it's not a calendar it's a novel yeah it is yeah it's chocked full of wonderful information yeah we still got a few at dan west veda you still still have have a few at palladio so they're still out there okay okay and that's a great thing to have great gift as well uh so there we we do a few things and what was the what was the other thing other than the calendar we we do make money at spring fling yes and although spring fling is we that's not our focus making money is not our focus our focus Mm -hmm. is get to the community well you've got to have some money you know absolutely absolutely once like uh if i'm gonna join and i want to i'm gonna have to volunteer what kind of 
places do I volunteer at or what am I going to be doing? I mean, mean, like, does it all at the Botanic Gardens or do we go, like you said, some of the volunteers can go to the schools? A lot you can actually do from home. We do Mm -hmm. need people that uh, make phone calls for us to places. We need people to uh, work on our computer, help with the wonderful Mm -hmm. website we Mm -hmm. have, get the word out, uh, pass the news Mm -hmm. of what's going on. So anything from that. So we're not having to... To like if we love gardening but we're just not physically able to do a lot of participation outside then there's a lot of desk work and inside work too. I had a member yeah. that called me and she says I, I really am a little bit handicapped now because of my age what yeah. can I do and I said well let's talk about it and she's I said we have a lot of people approaching 80 Oh, no, no, I'm older. <laughs> I went, uh, and Jan eight, crapped the whip, cracked that whip and said, go get that shovel. Yeah, yeah no right. kidding. I said, yeah, I said, yeah. I said, we'll push you out to the garden if mm-hmm. we have to. 86 years old. That's so we awesome. have members is- from, I would say, in their 30s mm-hmm. or so all the way up to 86. Wow, so we do good. have to have a job for everybody, and we look for that particular job that fits you mm-hmm. not only your capabilities but your interest as well sounds like jan's got this thing figured right. out. right oh yeah and I that's good it. that y'all place it. because you don't want to volunteer somewhere you're just miserable at no right. yeah right okay y'all we're gonna go to another break so hang on we'll have more of this to talk about you are in the mid-south garden Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Garden. We've got Mary, I'm doing Jim's thing. We have the Memphis area master gardeners here with us, and we have the new president. Um, Miss Jan Dickey right here, Miss Beta. <laughs> um, um, and we're talking I was like, Jan, Debbie, Jan, Debbie, which one? Debbie, Jan, yeah. Debbie, Jan. Thank <laughs> you, When Kenneth. that gives me that look, you know, yeah. i got to get on it. Yeah, I'm telling Kenneth's you. like, okay, my turn. And, and Jan, first of all, we appreciate you coming up. Well, thank um, you. You know, and, and Debbie and Jamie and, and the other Jan that are up here, just wonderful, wonderful people, by the way. And we're talking about, uh, uh, talking to Miss Jan here, the new president of the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. And really we're talking about what is so wonderful, or all the wonderful things, I should say, about being a Memphis Area Master Gardener and all the wonderful things that y'all do. And we were talking about some of the events, Jan, uh, that, that happen every year. And one of them is the Great Tomato Contest, of course. Absolutely. And, you know, and I, hopefully that is a somewhat of a fundraiser, or does that generate any funds at all no no this is a public outreach and it's it's to uh basically spread the word about mr master gardeners it's to see what the community does as far as raising tomatoes and it's just a fun fun event we do have a children's tent there where the children do actually get to plant a tomato seed and take it with them yeah um and we have our judges for the event are actual judges that Jamie has come up with. I mean, I was I was a little intimidated. I worked the event last year, and I'm like, you oh to walk, no, walk the straight and narrow you around these real right. judges out there. But you throw those tomatoes in front of them, and they're just oh, like you and me. Just they just that smile, and oh yeah. And did I hear there was a misprint in the calendar that had something to do with the tomato contest, or is that? 
No, okay. that's Master Gardener Presents, which is in two weeks, which is on the 18th okay. of February. The calendar, actually, I had a misprint on that date. So if you're looking at the calendar, don't go by the date there. That's in the calendar. Right. Because we know it's calendar. February the 18th. It's February the 18th. It is accurate on the website. From 9 to 12 9 at to the 12. Memphis Botanic Gardens. Correct. And we got those two wonderful speakers in there. So right. there was just one misprint that was in the calendar. It had a different date in there. Correct. All right. What about Ask a Master Gardener? Oh. What is, and of course, I know that sounds benign, but what is what does that mean, Ask a Master Gardener? You know? We provide Master Gardeners and a booth to any event that requests our presence and it's uh you just go up you can bring a weed out of your garden Mm -hmm. you can bring a bug you found and ask us about it and either we know or we will find out for you because lots of times we don't know i mean we're in a learning environment too with changes and everything else there's no way to know all of it but we will get you the information and it's a it's a great tool to use for specific events. Well, and that's Ask a Master Gardener, because like you're saying, usually at most of these events that the Memphis Area Master Gardeners are presenting, there is going to be someone there that you can ask a question. Right. You know, and there again, you know, it's like I was saying before, Veda, you'll back me up on this. It's all about the information. Absolutely. I mean, if you get the right information from someone that's been there and done that, I mean, you know, because we all... I thought it was about the eating. Well, that's... That, too. That's 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 tomatoes. That's next. Absolutely. But, but, you know, honestly, we we don't want to see people make the same mistakes that we've all been through. Right, And, you know, and to me, gardening is so much more fun if you are successful at it. Now, a lot of times we're not successful because it's our fault. Don't get me wrong. But it, it is a lot more fun, and people are more... I guess more it, it's more gratifying if we do it and we do it the right way. You yeah, know? you don't feel like you're wasting then. But of course, now all our mistakes are experiments, and we have to have mistakes so we can teach people how to garden. We can teach them from our mistakes. Too. Right, and a lot of times people get discouraged, and yeah. they shouldn't be because it could be something totally beyond their control, oh, and they mm-hmm. blame themselves. Yeah, like like this past year, trying to garden this past year was really difficult for a new right. gardener, for an experienced gardener. And you're not kidding. So don't we, give up. Talking about tomatoes, you know, everybody had a horrible tomato season last year. All right, Jamie, you had something to say about a $10 fee? Uh, yeah, that's for interest, too, the right. Master Gardener Presents. And it's all going to, this is our outreach thing, another one of those outreach things. All the money goes to the Memphis Botanic Gardens and their educational programs. Okay. So that's that was one to make sure we got that in. Okay, so that $10 was, you know, when you show up, you can pay there, or do you have right. to have, you don't have to be pre-registered, you, do you? Well, th- let me make just a, a slight clarification. It's $10 if you are either a master gardener, a master gardener intern, okay. or a Memphis Botanic Garden member. member. Okay. But you must either bring your master gardener badge or your uh, card that says you're a member. Of the Botanic Gardens. Right. Uh, for the general public that doesn't fit one of these categories or for someone who doesn't bring their proper identification, it'll be $15. Okay. Well, I'm still nominal. Oh, nominal. Very nice. It stayed. We did raise it this year. Uh a small amount yes but yeah it's it's well worth the money well worth the money 
And they have a lot of publications on the website, too. I remember when I moved back to Memphis, and I had been learning all the gardening in Texas, but when I moved back to Memphis, I went to Extension Service first and grabbed, like, all the publications because I wanted to make sure either things matched or what was going on locally. And now you can just access them on the website quickly, and that's a, a, a good thing to look up, too. I mean... Right. Great information. I just remember those cute publications like 20 years ago in all colors. <laughs> and, and honestly, Veda, where you were in Texas, I mean, the landscaping and the weather is about the same thing we had yeah, here or was, we have here. Yeah, our difference was the pH was one thing yeah. and the rainfall amount was different, too. So in central Texas, where I was... I had no idea there was that many varieties of hosta. We didn't even do <laughs> yeah. a hosta there. I've that always said those are the crazy people, Beta. You know that. Right. So, I mean, there was so many more hollies and azaleas and hostas and um, even varieties of crepe myrtles that would work in Memphis to where in central Texas you only had like a basket full of shrubs that would grow there and you could learn them really quick. And you come to Memphis and it's just a shopping cart full of shrubs you can use. See, so you moved to a better place, didn't yeah, you? Move back to a better place. And, 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 and Jan, yeah. we've only got about three more minutes. So kind of a, a recap is uh, the Memphis area, uh, area master gardeners, you said if you want to become one, you have to get a application, and you can do that on, online, I'm assuming. You can do that on our website or get them at the local libraries. Okay. And They'll then, be available. And then you said they have to have the registration turned in by, was it? The, was it? The date changes, Let's to be safe, let's say around July 31st. Okay. But in that vicinity. And so you just fill it out. Make sure you have it done by that time. And then this is for the class for next year. Correct. And then when do the classes actually start? They start the first week of January. Okay. And they run through the end of April. Now, we alternate from year to year. This year, our class is at night. So our working people have an opportunity to become a master gardener. Next year, it will be a daytime class. Okay. So y'all go, y'all alternate, though, because you always want to give someone the opportunity to become a Memphis Area Master Gardener, even if they're working during the day. Correct. And it might be another year before that happens, but, right. you you know, y'all have daytime classes, it seems like, one year, and then nighttime classes another year, which I think Correct. is a great thing. Right. Oh. Right. Well, we, we're just, we, we want you all. I mean, you know, the bigger, the better. And uh, we do have a great group of people, and we like to invite everybody to come give us a try at least come to our events and see how we are and i think it, it's pretty infectious uh, you, uh, what yeah. about the uh, victory garden i mean yeah there's yeah, a victory the vi- garden and the family plot okay uh well the family plot is actually dr chris cooper's uh show it is that's on uh channel 10 mm-hmm. or wkno yeah. uh it's uh, airs on saturdays but that show has now reached across the nation guys it's everywhere it's marvelous marvelous done a great job with that the victory garden is in collierville it's collierville victory garden it's behind the christian church on uh, bahalia road go by and look at it what they've done out there is great they have grown thousands and thousands of pounds of produce they also grow zinnias which they take to local nursing homes uh the food goes to the local food bank uh or individual there have been times where we've had extra food so we take it to individual families that we Mm -hmm. see that we know we're in need but it's a great way great way to learn to grow vegetables 
And do um, they grow tomatoes out there also? They do. <laughs> and did, they don't have oh. cameras set up, do they? <laughs> so we can watch and see. I do follow them. They have the uh, Facebook page, of course. They have a, a great Facebook yeah. page, uh, and they will put on their Facebook page anytime they're going to have an open work day. And their work days are open to the public. You do not have to be a master gardener to work that garden to see what mm-hmm. it's all about. I tell you what, and I know we got to go to a break. And Jan, we want to thank you for coming up here, well, and Jamie, you. and Debbie, and, and Jan. But I've got a proposition for you. I've already loved you to death, okay? <laughs> and I think you could do a wonderful job as president of the Master Gardeners. But once you become, once that's over, and you fulfilled your, you know, your requirements, I think you need to run for mayor. Oh, no, thank you. (laughs) We're going to talk about that. Yeah, okay. All right, y'all. Y'all, thanks so much for coming in and passing on this wonderful information. And we're going to run to a break, and we'll be right back after these messages. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. That was great. Thanks. I'm glad they came up here and talked about all the Master Gardener stuff going on. No, she's wonderful. Jan is, she's she's their woman for the job, I'm well, telling you. I was going through looking at some of their publications, and I do remember that, um, you know, I love mimosa trees, and I know, Kenneth, you love mimosa yes. trees, and a lot of people think that they're kind of trash trees and Maybe because they can reseed a lot and the seeds are viable for five years and it's just hard to get them to go away. What, They're read, still pretty. You read like, about them, Betty, you'd never plant one. Right. Ever. And I was looking and they did have some great recommendations on, you know, alternative things to plant. And it's usually the things that we, we love, like the service berry, the red bud, flowering dogwood, fringe tree, and American holly. So... I still want the um, mimosa, though. Now, Jim, have you ever gone? I know you're an honorary member of the Memphis Area Master Gardeners, but have you? Uh, have you haven't gone through the classes, have you? No, I did not okay. have to go through. I taught some of the classes. There you go. Yeah, particularly in Fayette County, they've uh, uh, called on me a number of times to teach the soil classes and insecticides and that sort of thing. And Veda, you know, you and I became uh, honorary members mm-hmm. also. Yeah, I think uh, the first year we were at this station in two, 2020. Yes, ma'am. And then I think I recall that Jim Crowder brought his certificate up here and yep. it was framed. And remember, I think he was bragging how his frame yes, was bigger than our frame. That's right. So we should have asked Jim about that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We should that's ask right. Jan about that. Well, but I guess Jim divert, divert, diversionsly. What word am I trying to say? Deservingly well, gets a bigger frame. Well, you know, <laughs> and Jam was in charge of it, so she. Uh huh. <laughs> so but I tell you what, though, really, guys, mm-hmm. all jokes aside, I mean, it it, it it truly is a wonderful thing to go through. Uh, and, you know, people, I've had the question asked to me, or if I go th- and take these classes, what if I fail? Well, no one fails, okay? Everyone passes the test. So it's not like. You know, you're going to be one out of a hundred that doesn't pass, you know, so everybody passes. Uh, It's a great thing. You do the volunteer work, you know, of course, you know, once you go through the classes. And it's just a win-win situation for everyone. Um, I mean, you know, talking about the Victory Garden, Veda, Mm -hmm. uh, Jim, we wouldn't have a Victory Garden if it wasn't for the volunteers from the Master Gardeners. It just, it wouldn't be there. And then all the produce they are saying that they were producing, you know, they're giving it to the food bank, and then they give it to individual families. I mean, it's just, there again, it's just always a win-win situation. There's this all good coming from this place. Mm -hmm. Love it. Uh, The the pictures from the Victory Garden are so good, and I think Don 
Is it Don Ware that I've posts that a lot of them? <laughs> and he's humorous, too. So <laughs> Gardeners are just funny. You know, but I've never been out there to the Victory Garden in mm-hmm. Carryville. I've heard about it. I've always known about it. Yeah. Uh, I've just never been out there. I, I need to go out there and take a look at this thing and, uh, you know, see if they're doing anything different that maybe other people aren't doing. Mm-hmm. You well, know? they sure have some beautiful vegetables, so I think it's a, a good learning experience to go out for that. But let's, Jim, um, Jim, 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 I ask you about your yard because you have so many different types of plants and everything in there. Um, what's going to be your favorite this year coming up in your garden? Well, mine's yeah. already good for Cynthia. Whatever's alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <you know. laughs> right. We can't name anything yet, right? Yeah. Whatever's alive. Yeah. But, and like I said, you know, we talked about this last weekend. Mine is already the, the Forsythia. That's the, that's the new bulletproof plant. I mean, all this crazy weather we've been through, everything mm-hmm. dying back, dying down, these things are in bloom. <laughs> and I saw one blooming yesterday. Even this last, you know, ice little uh-huh. front that we had didn't bother these things at all i'm like i did not realize that forsythias were that tough yeah they are and aggressive well y- well yeah when, yeah. You, when you say aggressive <laughs> well you want to pick the right one you know mm-hmm. uh there was one at my house when i moved in and uh it was planted right beside the air conditioning unit and, and it was the wrong place for it it just gets too big uh, and and they tend, they put up new canes, you know, sprouts from the roots, and so it gets a bigger clump every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it took me a couple of years to kill it. Um, but, hey, do you notice like? But the there are. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. There there are some newer ones like was it Little Bo Peep or mm-hmm. something like that that are very dwarf um, that make good um, good early spring color. You know, if you've got a, a very little space. There are some now that fit that better than the old lemon gold and some of those. Yeah, yeah. That, that just get so blasted big. Oh, okay, so there's a dwarf forsythia. Because the Linwood Gold, I remember when that came out, and I think it's just supposed to be more yellow-looking, more gold-looking, mm-hmm. but it's still a normal size. Well, some of the the Forsythia's original ones that we planted, and they do, they start to grow, Did you or spread like they'll set up. Mm-hmm. Well, did you notice, or maybe this was just mine, that... The older part would die out, and the newer parts would keep growing. Yeah, and getting, you will. You know, yeah. you'll get usually three to five years out of some of the older canes, and and that's mm-hmm. the way they should be pruned right after they bloom. Is go in there and pick some of the older ones and, and cut just out cut that out of there. Let them fill back up through that. It opens oh. it up so as you get some sun in there and it sprouts up. You know, there is one again not far from my house that must have. It's probably been there. 25 mm-hmm. or 30 years, yeah. you know, it's uh, 20 feet across, huge clump of it. And when it's when it's in bloom, it is spectacular, you know, wow. uh, but it's it's just too, it's massive. Yeah, it's it's too big for this particular lot, yeah. you know, where <clears throat> it's at. Um, yeah, see, I, that's a good thing about creating or hybridizing smaller things because smaller yards, you want a forsythia, but you can't get one because it's right. going to do that. You want a um, flowering quince, but you can't put that in because it gets too big. But now there's smaller ones of that as well. Well, and yeah. you know, when I think of forsythia, I also think of quince because I think mm-hmm. those to me are the two earliest blooming shrubs uh, that, are, that are out there. Uh, and, you know, there are others, but mm-hmm. I always think about them two together. It seems too. Like. And, uh, and then you have to uh, throw in the star magnolia mm-hmm. with that. Because I planted a bed, I, one at the house I lived at, I did 
a spring bed and a fall bed and you know th- that kind of way so my spring bed had forsythia and the a, quince and yeah, the storm magnolia right daffodils because yeah. they were early and uh yeah you said star magnolia daffodils quince Oh, the bulbs, like the muscari. Mm-hmm. Some of the minor bulbs. Yeah. So, But then when it was um, spring was over, it was pretty green bed. But it just that one time of the season, all that spring was just right there. It's gorgeous. Well, and, and remember, there are bulbs that you plant in the fall that bloom in the spring. There are mm-hmm. bulbs you plant in the spring that bloom in the summer. Yeah. A case to point, I was talking to a young lady the other day. She wanted uh, quite a few gladiolus bulbs. And, you know, to me, gladiolus bulbs are the old antique grandmother bulb. Which Wait, are they gladiolus or gladiotus? Gladiotus. <laughs> Olis. Gladiotus bulbs. Veda, here she goes again, y'all. And to me, I mean, I love the old-timey, you know, heirloom-type bloom on gladiotus, right? Right, right. Uh, but she wanted to plant them for hummingbirds. And I was like, hang on, wait a minute. You mean mm-hmm. the hummingbirds are attracted to gladiotus? And she's like, absolutely. You don't think about that. No. no. So uh, your spring bulbs, they'll be available in another month or so. But those mm-hmm. are the ones you plant, like I said, in the spring, and they, and they bloom in the summer. But I would have never thought that glads but I, it makes sense because they had that kind of trumpet yeah. shaped bloom on it them. just always seems like they would bloom before the hummingbirds would show up oh no, she said but they, they hummingbirds show up sooner than we think she and she plants them just for i mean of course for personal use mm-hmm. to cut and take inside and put in bouquets but typically she's planting these glad bulbs for the hummingbirds and uh you know it's just you're talking about different blooming cycles mm-hmm. Veda. some of the bulbs that we plant in the fall they're blooming now and then the blub, bulbs uh, there again that we plant now will bloom, of course, in the, in the summer. Yeah. I love the glads. What bulbs do you do? Well, I, I'm not – I've got some perennial glads that have smaller flowers that come back year after year. The, the big glads, I think they're, they're beautiful, but – you treat know, them as an annual. Yeah, treat them yeah. as an annual. You know, and if you, you go out, if there's a color you like or multiple colors, get by 100 bulbs, you know, mm-hmm. and plant them 10 – you know, about every 14 days or so, so that you have them stagger, uh, stagger them through the season. Otherwise, they all come in at once and then they're gone. So, hmm. yeah, I always struggle with how to do the glads, but I want glads. I want to be glad all the time. <laughs> all right, y'all, we're going to go to a break and hang on, get your coffee, tea, and y'all give us a call 901 260 5926. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. It is sunshiny outside. It's going to be sunshiny all day, maybe high, I think, 46 or something. And the ice is melting away. Yay, I'm getting spring fever for a minute. Let's see, we're in the first week of January, fixing to head into the second, right? Isn't it February? February? Huh? First week of February. What did I say? January. January. But uh, you're only a month off, babe. That's not that that's bad. That's not this time too of bad. Year. No. You mean last week wasn't Christmas? <laughs> 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 but let's see here. What what happens? Okay, I'm thinking in the past. Have we had snow past? Oh, yeah. yeah. February is, you never know what's going to happen this month say. as far as the weather. And sometimes March is a make it or break it month. Like, like in the garden industry, you know, you'll get a beautiful month. 
or you'll get a horrible month mm -hmm. for March for weather-wise. So I wonder what that one's going to be. Well, and that's what happened last year. It was wet and mm -hmm. cool until mid-April. It took forever you know? to get to spring. That's what it was. And then we had three weeks of beautiful spring weather. Then it got blazing hot overnight. Which then in turn makes me think, or not, not makes me think, but I want to let y'all know that you can garden all year absolutely we all don't have to wait until the weather gets gorgeous i mean you can do stuff in your garden right now to make new flower beds you can plant right now so you don't even though we're going oh i can't wait for spring we can't mm. wait for spring to get out in the yard and all and it feels good yeah but mm. there you can do gardening almost every day here yeah you know we're not telling people to go out there and plant impatience right now but right. when it comes Anything to you know hardy perennials and trees and shrubs i tell people every day as long as the ground's not frozen or it's muddy wet you can plan if you can get your hands on what you're looking for. So what what kind of book you have over there, Jim? Well, I bought the, the, the new edition of the National Audubon Society, Trees of North America. Nice. Love it. Uh, you know, I had the original, the older version, and so I saw this out. And it sells for about 40 bucks or so, but I found it online for like $17. Mm -hmm. Um, a real book. Yeah, and it's a real book. You can actually has pretty decent pictures. <laughs> you can pictures, smell but, the ink. But it, it, to <laughs> me, it's one of those books that was written by people who are good <clears throat> writers. Um, <laughs> but whoever edited it really uh, missed a few things. I've marked a number of errors that I found in it. But like this one right here, here's a picture of a what they're saying is uh, an example of opposite, opposite leaves. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not. That's actually a compound leaf. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so the number of issues in here with pictures and where they didn't put things like, you know, the color of the flower or the mm -hmm. fruit or... So anyway, but that's it, a it pretty is a, book. It is a yeah. pretty book, yeah. You know, and for for eighteen bucks, it's not bad. All right, go ahead. So. Can I look at it while y'all talk? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, and, and trees are, you know, we've always said that they're they're a big deal. Um, and of course, and if you look around, drive around Memphis, you know, mostly what we see, and I say mostly, predominantly, what you see around here are the big oak trees, um, and I love them. Thank goodness we do have oak mm -hmm. trees here. But there are so, so many other varieties of trees that we can grow right here in the Mid-South. Do we have more oak trees than majority? I mean, we, we have to. Well, Absolutely. Yeah, and we get a lot of hybridizing here, too. So it's, oh, it's sometimes right. difficult to tell which ones are which. Man, that's for sure. Yeah. I'm glad to know that. I think when, when Michael Durr came here he, years ago, he went through um, uh, the cemetery that's down there on on. on um, Elmwood? 50. Yeah, Elmwood Cemetery. Yeah. That's what I was trying to think of. Uh, and the forester, state forester, had been through there and labeled the trees, and, and they were almost all wrong. <laughs> so, so he could, how does this happen? Because well, you, you can know? label something as a red oak. Well, but that thing has been there, you know, it's been hybridized, like you said, Jim, from so many other different trees around there. That It, right. it might be a type of red oak, but is it really a red oak? Yeah, it you can know? be a cross between a number of them, and, and, they're, you know, and they reproduce, so then you end up with even more mixed heritage. So... Um, but, you know, we, we are originally, this was where three hardwood forests came together, uh, one out of Missouri, one from Tennessee, and one that moved up through Mississippi. And most of the Mississippi was removed in, in the Delta for farmland. Mm -hmm. wow. uh, but at one time, this was where those three forests came together. And so we had a very diverse uh, we got the homogenous trees. Yeah. Well, no wonder Memphis is forest. freaking out. They had all the forests together, and now they're gone. 
Well, and like <laughs> we you still said, have a lot of trees. Yeah, but we still are. You know, like we, I think we were talking last week. You know, if you go up and like top of Clark Tower or something, look out, you can't mm-hmm. see houses because yeah. there's so many trees. Yeah. All right. So, what when someone wants to buy a tree and plant a tree, uh, Jim and Veda, are there certain things that you think about? Uh, other, I see, because I always think about the size of the tree. You know, how big is this tree going to get? In reference to where I planted. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. like one thought is, first off, what are you really going to use it for? You know, do you want to shade your whole house or just the window? Is it going to be an edible? Do you want it to lose its leaves? You know, kind of mm-hmm. figure out what you're going to do with it. So you're saying, you know, especially if you want it to, you know, if you're planting a tree for shade, you want to strategically put it mm-hmm. where it needs to go. That's kind right? of one of the questions, yeah, because when people come in and say, which tree should I plant? Um, well, then I just think of my most favorite tree, but you've got to think of all the other issues going on in your yard. Right. And, and then the effect it's going to have on your turf, mm. the plants under it, because, you know, if you've had tree plants or shrubs or have been in full sun, they're not going to do well up underneath the shade. You know? And you better be prepared for that down the road, right? right? You know, I know that may be 10 or 15 years, right. you know, but, you know, if you bought that house, you're financing those shrubs over 30 years, yeah. so... <laughs> that's yeah. true that yeah. is true <laughs> i mean but but i still can't imagine landscapes so sterile that you don't have trees i mean to me when i other than the tulip popper in my front yard when i look at a tree i i, I just see the good things mm-hmm. of that tree now are there some trees that are planted too close to the house to the foundation yes oh, yeah and a lot of the, the landscapers who do these new houses um um they have they have to meet a certain number of plants, like 13 shrubs in a tree, right. for the loan to go through. They don't mm-hmm. really care. They're looking at cheap. Yeah. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I see so many silver maples planted because they're fast growing. <laughs> you know, and, right? And it's not um, if they're going to break; it's when are they going to yeah, break? Kind of like a the Bradford pear, right. right? You know, so they they make poor decisions. Um, but what about Jim? Also, they're planting these these trees uh, really close to either a foundation, close to very close to a driveway, close to a walkway. Uh, there are some trees that can you can plant a lot closer to your house, your driveway, your walkways than you can other trees. And a lot of times we see people make that simple mistake. They they love the tree that they planted. You know, it's in the perfect spot as far as you know the shade and so forth. It has the right you know foliage that they like. But it's still not the tree for that spot. Right. Because of the root system they don't think about later on. Right. And, you know, remember we talk about when you look at a tree, think of it as a wine goblet and a dinner plate. Um, The roots are two and a half times the width of the canopy. Yeah. So, you know, they're going to be in your neighbor's yard. They're going to go onto the street to cross the street. I mean, you know, th- it has a huge, huge root system in our type soil. They don't go very deep, but they go very wide. And y'all both had made the uh, the comment about even when a tree gets blown over, like some of these massive oak trees from time to time, you see this real thin you know, yeah. root system, because mm-hmm. that root system, like Jim is saying, is not going that deep because mm-hmm. of our clay soil around here. That's and right. that's all the fibrous feeder roots that are out they're, farther. They're right at the surface. I mean, just, mm-hmm. I mean, if you could actually get down with a microscope and look at it, you would see these little feeder roots kind of jumping out of the soil like dolphins. Okay, because yeah. they're right there. They're competing for nitrogen from the rain. So there, mm-hmm. it is the vast majority of roots that are important Almost to that plant level. are right at the ground level. You know, 
and I see all these tree companies advertising deep root feeding, yes, you know, yeah, yeah. And, but there's just nothing no. down there. Yeah. That's what I've always wondered, <laughs> you know, because it's all, and then like, that's why our, you have, the roots are going for air and oxygen too. Right. And since we have the clay soil, you're saying that was another reason why it doesn't dig, the roots don't go deeper. Now, I've also understood that if you water deeply, your roots will go so go deeper, deeper than mm-hmm. right. if you weren't watering deeply, but they're still not going as deep as you think. Right. Yeah. And, what, and real quick, and I, I know we got to go to a break. Also, there are certain varieties of trees, and I always keep this in mind too, that they are notorious about the roots coming to the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's I what mean, I was ask and then there are yeah. just some trees that it's they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which you have that. Yeah. I've got some of that going on. But think about this: they're at the surface for a reason. Mm-hmm. Okay? But, but I don't want them there. And I want to cover them up. I understand that, but then you planted the wrong tree. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, run to a break real quick, and we'll talk more about trees and their roots and so much more. We'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Yeah, if you uh, want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926, 260-5926. That's 901-260-5926. You can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text uh, there. And, of course, if you listen later on, uh, kwmradio.com, listen mm-hmm. to the podcast anytime you want. So a lot of different ways to get in touch with us, Miss Veda. So we were doing the, the trees and the root systems and all and talking about not planting them too close to the house. Um, you know how far root systems can go out. Of course, the ones that you're worried about are the big, thick feeder roots that can uplift your foundation and all. So that's why you don't have to plant 30 feet from your house. You can plant 10 feet. Well, it that depends on the tree. I mean, but, little it, close, but I've seen but oak trees, mm-hmm. you know, six foot away from a house. Yep. And of course, the house is fine. Don't get me wrong. Right. But I just think you need tree, to be aware yeah. of what kind of root system this tree is going to have. Right. When you plant it close to any kind of structure. Yeah. So you're describing your situation and Jim's like, you shouldn't have planted it, but you got stuck in the where it was there when you got there. Yes, yes. So you didn't choose this. No. But root systems on trees. Yep. Okay, let's go to Jan calling from Brinkley, Arkansas. Good morning, Jan. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Yes. Good morning. Hey, Jay. Um, good morning to you, dear. Um, I have... We have lost two trees. One we had to have cut down. It was a large tulip poplar. My husband and I planted when we first got married between my house and my brother's house who lives next door, which is about a 20-foot area. And, of course, it got huge. And then we had a couple storms, and limbs fell on his house, limbs fell on our house. So we decided it was time to cut it down. And then last year, in the spring, we had a terrible storm and lost a huge oak tree in front of my brother's house, which was my parents'. Uh, that had been there for probably 75 years. Wow. All of our heart. It just was, it was going Mm -hmm. south anyway, but the storm got it. So now what we're left with is two great big holes. The the guys came out and ground the stumps down. And he wants to plant something there, which is right in front of his house, between the house and the sidewalk. And I would like to plant a smaller tree between our houses Mm -hmm. and maybe make a garden around it. But I don't know what to do how to treat that with all that sawdust in there. Um, how yeah. do I, well, where do I start? Yeah, so definitely remove as much sawdust as possible. And don't pl- replant in the same hole. 
Okay. You need, don't replant. No, not in not the, the same, same hole. hole. Yeah. Because yeah. you have all the roots from that tree, which are going to be decomposing over the next 15 years or so. And that's going to collapse inside there and leave air spaces. And if you try to plant in there, your, your tree's going to, one, not get anchored well. And it's, um, it's going to have some other issues as far as we're, um, watering and, and that sort of thing. So you, you want to get, just get three to five feet away from that if you can, uh, and then and plant there. And what okay. about, guys, as far as a, an ornamental-type tree that she can plant between the houses where that tulip poplar... Mm-hmm. And, Jan, I don't know if you've ever heard the show before, but that I'm always talking about the tulip poplar that's in my front yard. And I am yeah. so ready to cut that thing down. And I love the tree, and I really do. And it, and it does a good job, but it's the wrong tree for the wrong spot. So I know where you're coming from. So oh, if you're looking for, a, oh. looking for a smaller-sized tree to plant between the houses. And how, how is the drainage in there? I mean, is this, uh, are, the, are the houses going to shade that any? No, it's pretty, it's pretty hot there. It's okay. on the west side of my house. Oh, okay. All right. And so it's on the west. It faces the west, and it's, it's pretty hot. That's one reason we planted the tree there was to shade our house. We mm-hmm. have a big Victorian house, and we thought, Oh yeah, I got a good fast growing tree that'll shade it. Yeah. yeah, and then we were sort of sorry. Yeah, I mean, Even would you go with a, a maple, Jim? Well, a maple's going to be fast, going to be colorful. It's going to be a little more difficult to plant under because of competition from the roots. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I would consider would be a dawn redwood. Uh, it, of course, it, it, it's kind of conifery looking, but it's not evergreen. Drops its foliage. There's nothing to rake, um, and and it's very rapid growing. Grows straight as an arrow. Uh, and it would, it's very delicate looking. It would mm-hmm. shade the house during the summertime, but then allow sunlight to get through during the winter so it can warm the house. So and how, how big would that tree get? Uh, 35, 40 feet here mm-hmm. probably is about it. Yeah, about it. Because I was thinking when you were talking about small tree, what was the height you were kind of looking for? Um, something a little bit bigger than like a, uh, a dogwood or mm-hmm. a crepe myrtle, you know, something that would shade basically the bottom story of the house. I don't really necessarily want it to grow to the tip top of my roof line. Oh, right. Okay, mm-hmm. so you need something even and, smaller. Uh, yeah, we that's have a, a tough. We part. have a squirrel problem also. And they love that tulip poplar. Oh man, they all oh. sat out there and chattered at me when we, you know, because they couldn't get in our house anymore. We're not. They still can get in, but because yeah. we have flying squirrels too, but yeah. not as easy. Well, you could do and Japanese snowbell. Yeah, beautiful, taste. very fragrant tree in the spring. Yeah. Any of the mm-hmm. or most of the uh, deciduous magnolias, ornamental magnolias, yeah. tulip tulip magnolias, yeah. as they're called. And uh, then there's the you know the fringe trees. Mm-hmm. Um, it might not get quite tall enough for you. Oh, I like the Chase Vitex. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that you can put in the between the two houses that are still going to you know. You're going to have a tree there. It's not going to be a massive tree. Um, Right. So it's we're going with a red bud, a maple. Mm -hmm. um, Even even some of the larger crepe myrtles. Yeah, crepe myrtle. Yeah, it would give her summer color. Um, I do love that snowbell, though, that you mentioned. Yeah, Carolina, I mean, Japanese snowbells, extremely fragrant, um, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's just a beautiful tree. It's going to max out around, you know, the top of your... Just below probably your roof line. Uh, Going to get 15, 20 feet wide at max. Um, great tree, though. Okay. That's, what about the one in front of my brother's house? Now, that's 
it is a small area between two sidewalks right, right in front of this house, and it's north-facing. Uh-huh. Um, um, let's see. And how tall did you want it again? Well, it well, was an oak tree there. Was, yeah, there was an oak tree there, a massive oak tree. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was um, it was huge. We were very lucky when it fell that it, it fell sideways and not on my brother's yeah. house and not yeah. on the house across the street because it would have done some serious damage if it had done that well i still it literally split yeah and jane i still love the it, you know the types of maples i mean yeah, because they're sure. they're so fast i mean they're really fast growing it won't take a long time to have another beautiful tree there i mean the fall color you can't beat it uh, there, there are really not a whole lot of problems with them, honestly. Now, you know, later on in life, the roots tend to come up towards the surface, but happens on a lot of trees. Uh, and you can always create a bed, you know, up under the maple, or you can just put some, uh, you know, a light layer of mulch up under there. I mean, so it's, it, it, to me, I would not ever not plant a beautiful maple knowing that later on some of the roots are going to come close to the surface. I would not plant it for that reason. Unless you just have to have grass growing up to your tree trunk. Then, you know, maybe second guess that. Uh, Also, you could even use shrubs that grow into uh, smaller trees like the sweet autumn. Not sweet autumn, sweet olive. Mm -hmm. uh, We sell it more as a shrub, but it actually, if you keep limbing it up, makes a nice small ornamental tree. For between the section of your house, like you were talking about, for your brother's house, I mean, I am. I'm liking the maples. And I know you had a red oak, I mean, an oak, but I still like the red oaks, the nettle oaks to go there. Uh, what else would I go with? Oh, a ginkgo tree. Why not a ginkgo? They're I mean, I love them. One beautiful. of the prettiest trees on the market, but it's just going to be really slow growing. That's all. Yeah, it would be. Right, right. He's just, you know, he's not much of a gardener, so he wants me. I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Jane, I would definitely look at some of, some of these maples. I really would, whether it's, you know, the October Glory or the Blaze, the Improved Blaze. There's just so many beautiful maples on the market. And like I said, one of the attributes of them is that, that fall color that you cannot beat. And, and they are going to be fairly fast growing. That's what I love about it also. But it's not going to be a brittle tree like you know the old bradford pears you know if you blew on it it cracked in half what do we have any elm trees now that we even want to recommend because elm trees were always a good thing i still like the princeton elms that's a quicker grower um good shade tree and also last one jane is you know a lot of the magnolias jim mentioned Mm -hmm. the deciduous magnolias but also some of the evergreen magnolias it doesn't have to be an old southern magnolia you know this massive tree uh, there are a lot of the, you know, the uh, sweet bays. Well, the, the, you know, the teddy bears, oh, right. the, the little gems, and then mm-hmm. some of the more upright ones like the Alta magnolias. Yeah. I mean, it grows more like a pyramid, and they're right. beautiful trees. Yeah, and the sweet bay is pretty because it loses its leaves. Mm-hmm. Well, n- not it's no. N- if you're doing Australis, it's pretty yeah. much evergreen. Mine came through this winter absolutely gorgeous. Cannot tell that it you know, it got Australis. cold. So, Jane, I know that's a yeah. lot of information, a lot of different types of trees, but it really comes down to a matter of preference, also. Yeah, and if you if you go to if you're a member of our group, go to the uh, file section. There is a, a section in there on ornamental trees that I think make Get point you give you some good pointers too. Right, I am. I have one more thing for Jim. Uh, last year, I contacted you on the Facebook page about an old antique rosebush that I have in front of my Victorian house that my great grandmother planted sometime around the 1900s that she, wow. she lived in this house, mm-hmm. and it has survived. 
despite lack of care and lack of care and care and <laughs> lack of care all these years. And last year, my rose growing friend here encouraged me to prune it, which I did with great trepidation. I was mm-hmm. terrified that I was going to be the one ancestor that was going to kill it. And I trimmed it, and he <laughs> said, now take those cuttings and stick them in something. And so I stuck them in pots. And some of them I just put root powder and stuck them in the ground around the rose bush and on the other side of my house. And they have almost all rooted beautifully. Good mm-hmm. Lord. Ancestors are proud of you. Yeah, they are. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, yes. old, the old roses do that really well. Yes. Yeah. All right, we're going to run to a break. Thank you so much for the call, Jan, if you have questions. Right, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. That was cool. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Uh, We've been talking about trees, and I was showing Jim a picture of one when I was in Florida. There was this really cool tree that it looked like it was the aurelia bush to me. The foliage looked like an aurelia bush, and it had these big green fruits growing on it. Papaya. Papaya. Yeah. And then you said that we could Notice you said you were in Florida when you saw that. Yeah, yeah, so I'm taking pictures. There's a mountain mountain papaya that's actually root hardy here we see it a lot of times uh, because there's a in the landscape trade here there's a significant population of hispanics and um, mm-hmm. they would spit the seeds out they would eat papaya and they spit the seeds out and particularly around <laughs> ponds where the, the water keeps the soil from freezing they're spreading uh, the seed around. We, we'd see papayas pop up there, you know, and yeah. look very tropical looking. And people wonder, what on earth is this plant, you know? And then it'll die down the winter and then re-sprout. So. Does it, but does it get the fruit? We don't have enough time to get fruit. I have not we? seen them get the fruit. Yeah. Now, you know, we would dig them up at the botanic gardens and repot them. Mm-hmm. And, and you could dig up 12, 15 footers with just a, like a five-gallon uh, not much of the root system at all and keep them through the winter and they replant mm-hmm. them you know and they would they would bloom and put on fruit in yeah. the greenhouse so well, so that's cool not one that we can recommend for a long-term tree here is no. a papaya no. but it sure was interesting to see because i thought it was one of the uh shrubs the aurelias i looked at the leaf and i'm going this just i'm just so confused but it's actually a papaya it also reminds me of almost like a fig you know, yeah, I mean, to me, yeah, I mean, the closest thing we would have that, you know, that do grow around here would would be a fig tree. Mm-hmm. Now, can a fig get knocked down to the ground? Like this year, probably. Probably. <laughs> yeah. And they usually come back from the root, typically speaking. But, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of people will grow fig trees. I've seen them. I've seen people put them in the landscape, same as blueberries, for more of an ornamental reason mm-hmm. uh, and not getting the blueberries or the figs because with the blueberries, they love the fall color. With the figs, they like the look of the foliage. It's a tropical look. Exactly, yeah. Jim. And, and you particularly know, they, now with little ones like Little Miss Figgy, uh, it you know it's four or five feet tall and just you know, very tropical looking. But mm-hmm. it's great to you know for around a, uh, a pool or something mm-hmm. like that to give you that look. And and absolutely the best fig you'll ever put in your mouth. Isn't that Miss something? And see, I'm not a big feed eater, but I still love the way figs look. I do, too. That's me, too. I don't really want to eat them, but I just love how they look. And, you know, we're talking about the different types of... We can do different types of looks of landscaping here, too. You can well, really sure. create a tropical 
landscape. Yeah, we're going to document Christie's house where, you know, I'm living now, my daughter. Um, We're going to redo her pool mm-hmm. of she course hit, you she are. had a lot of <laughs> <laughs> she had a lot of um of baju bananas you know for a block from a neighbor there which uh we're which do a tra- good job which we're going to transplant some of those and she had planted some distillium in there which i'm pretty sure did mm-hmm. uh so we're going to rip all that out and we're going to put in a, a very tropical looking we're even going to try to <laughs> successfully winter a sago yeah. palm out there by the pool now what about mm-hmm. you said the bananas are you going to dig all those up jim no i'm going to thin some of them out gotcha. okay and move them around uh th- there's one particular neighbor that we like to block and, and also uh, for people that that are listening is when people go in the springtime they'll buy a banana tree okay but a lot of people don't know that there's a tropical banana tree and a hardy banana mm-hmm. and if you want one that's going to come back and they do really come back well oh, year yeah. after year after year. Make sure you get the the hardy banana. Yeah. Now, if you're growing one just in a container as a tropical, that's that's fine. But just remember, there are some that definitely come back yeah. around here. Yeah, and and, and the yeah. other ones you can grow, you can dig them up. Um, in fact, we've got there's one of our members uh, who is uh, grows more different varieties of alocasias than I've ever seen. I mean, just and I, I think of elephant ear when you say alocasia. Yeah, and he grows bananas also, and he right. and I mean he digs up these huge bananas and puts them in a, almost a five-gallon pot and winters them, cuts the foliage off of them, wow. and then replants them in the spring. And he does the same thing with his alocasias. Wow. Okay. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, they're very easy to dig up and, and you know, we used to dig them up, bare root them, and let them dry for a couple of days out on the patio mm-hmm. to get rid of some of the water weight because bananas yeah, are tell me extremely uh-huh. heavy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what about some of the trees, guys, that we try to grow here that are marginal? Because, you know, we'll drive up north or go out west, and we see some of these beautiful conifers and some of these aspens and so forth. And we want, there again, to grow something that typically we don't see a whole lot of around here. You know, but things like the hemlocks. And, you know, how successful, Jim Veda, I mean, can we go down that road there are some that you can grow that require some special conditions Mm. Um, primarily it's winter drainage that is the killer for many plants here yeah uh anything if it's native to mountainous areas you you know we're at the bottom of the mountain okay so that's that's a real issue we are at the bottom of the mountain it's got you got to have soil that has a whole lot more air in it than ours does during the winter time particularly palms are one of the things you know the cold doesn't get the palms here as much as, as the cold wet the wet feet, feet. Yeah. yeah so if if you can give it that really good drainage you in, really increase the, the chance of it surviving in fact i was in during the break here i was uh, talking about we're going to do a sago palm uh at christie's house mm-hmm. uh it is technically a zone seven plant mm-hmm. it will survive with snow on it and that mm-hmm. sort of thing but we're going to pull the leaves up we're going to insulate it and see if we can get it to make it through grow. the winter but it's going to be planted in a little basically an elevated bottomless pot okay mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. we can get air in those roots water doesn't stand around yeah, them so you're going to make sure you have really yeah. good drainage around this that's thing. right that's right. going to be the key to getting them to survive so yeah, because I do hear uh, people say that they have sagos and they've survived. They'll go, oh, they yeah. made it through the winter. Right. It, it's all, but they everybody always says 
but only for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. They haven't made it last long term. And so it's kind of like you maybe got lucky those first couple of years because of, like you said, the drainage. Mm-hmm. So you're putting it in a in the ground. It's going to be in the ground, but it's going to be, I don't, you know, I don't know whether I'm going to just put a little rock border mm-hmm. around or something, but it's going to be planted so that it's six to eight inches above, above the grade. existing yeah. soil mm-hmm. grade. Uh, and then, you know, something wrapped around it, rock or some sort of thing to hold the soil and keep it from getting in the pool and that sort of thing. So well, for our tropical look, you, you're going to try the We're going to do uh, the, the bananas, bananas and, the, and the palms. Do, you know, I told you I need some alocasias, the, mm-hmm. the large growing, some tie giants and some of those. We're going to yeah. do some of the smaller alocasias, like the black one that's hardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's going to turn this thing into a tropical yeah. wonderland. I'm yeah. just telling you now. Yeah. But, you know, we're talking about some of the, you know, the trees that are marginal that are, in other words, if you drive around and you see trees that don't typically you see here, mm-hmm. there's usually a reason that you don't see them here. That's right. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't go out and try to plant some of those trees mm-hmm. because you can have microclimates where you can have a Fraser fir, mm-hmm. for yeah. example, grow. I know of some Alaskan mm-hmm. weeping um, uh, Atlas or yeah. the uh, <laughs> fur, yeah, um, that are surviving, but they were not planted. They were set on top of the ground, and then soil added around them so that they drain perfectly. So all we're saying, and the reason we're we're bringing this up is, yeah, there are some specimens of trees that you might get to live around here, but you're probably not. Yeah. Like you're saying, Veda, it might live for a year or two. Then you get this blazing hot summer and then this really wet uh, winter. Uh, you know, a lot of times those type of trees are the first to go. So, you know, I'm not, I'm, I would never say don't try it, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. I have seen, I'm telling you, I've seen hemlocks growing just fine. Oh, I've yeah. seen Fraser firs, believe it or not, blue spruce, yeah. if you can believe that growing mm-hmm. around here. But Alberta spruce, but for example, were op- but you don't see a lot of them. Right. And then a lot of these were planted back when we were a different zone. Yeah, when, we, were, when we had a winter. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. they established and then were able to acclimate to what it is now. But there's still not a lot at all. But they're here. There's mm-hmm. a few here and there, like the monkey puzzle tree. That yeah, one's I love weird. that tree. Well, yeah, and that's really, that's kind of a misnomer. Um, the, what we grow here is the Cunninghamia fir. Mm. Uh, the monkey uh-huh. puzzle tree is really Araucaria bidwellii, related uh-huh. to Norfolk Island pine. Um, the, so, which, so the one that we see growing here is, is not truly... Is, is Cunninghamia fir, and a lot of people uh-huh. will call it the monkey puzzle yeah. because yeah. it does look a whole lot like it, and it's equally yeah. as sticky. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But it's really different. And there was a landscaper back around the turn of the century here in Memphis who planted a lot of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know somebody that's there, got quite a few in the landscape right now, oh, John, right. and they're there's beautiful. Some, there's some huge ones, mm-hmm. uh, you know, particularly that's going on along Perkins. And also right. Shady Grove and Yates over there. Yeah, yeah. seen yeah. that one too. But yeah. they're not it seems like they're not fun trees to have in your yard. No, they're buggered to, to rake and Ugh. get up yeah. under, you yeah. know. Yeah. But they are they're stunning the way they look. Uh, but it's not something I would Well, and that's play. the other thing. Not all trees only drop leaves. <laughs> there are yeah. some oh. that have different fruits, they have different cones. I mean, mm-hmm. so you need to be able aware of that also when you're planting some of these beautiful trees that are out there. flowers in your swimming pool. Yeah, that's you know. the biggest mistake I see here in Memphis. People yeah. want to put crepe myrtles around their swimming pool. Right. Yeah. It does look good, but, mm. but we're going to head to a break and we'll be right back after these messages. Good 
Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You know, one thing I was I love just how nature has everything figured out. But, you know, the Venus flytrap, if the insect gets close to it, it's going to uh, catch the insect, it right? It on it, yep. And then the, how does it ever get pollinated? But their blooms mm-hmm. bloom way above right. so they can't get trapped. Isn't that smart? Hold on. <laughs> you gotta you gotta explain yeah. that to me. So when a Venus flytrap, for example, right, which is native somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. If an insect crawls over that leaf, the leaf collapses over the insect. Right. And but you then, know, eats it. Okay, so it so, digests it. But so, then you said the bloom Yeah, so say if the bloom bloomed close to the plant, oh. how would it get pollinated because the... Uh, oh, because the bug is getting caught. Yeah, <laughs> and the, so, so the bloom actually is on a spike up above, up above. it. Okay. Wow, well, that's a good one. Gosh, it's just, just who, who thought of this? Does, Mother there's Nature. A little plant, you know? <laughs> um, and then, oh, and then this is, I just saw, I had wrote this down to remember because Jim was talking about one time where no you don't put ice on orchids you know why did you put ice on orchids and i was watching a guy talk about growing orchids and he goes no you don't use ice honey the orchids have never seen ice a day in their life that's right yeah, so I mean, why are we putting well there's ice? an old you know theory that an easy way to to water orchids was mm-hmm. to put ice cubes in the pot and let it naturally just melt yeah. but like you said okay yeah you're getting the water but you're also freezing mm-hmm. the roots they don't like ice on their root system. And I don't know where that started. In fact, you talk to anybody that's in the Orchid Society, the first thing they're going to tell you is leave the ice for the iced tea. Don't <laughs> use it for the orchids, yeah. you know? Now, chilling the orchid, like the phalaenopsis, it will help encourage flower production. You know, I would take mine and put them in the window and pull the shears around it so that the pot is trapped between the shears and the window. Uh-huh. So it would drop the temperature in there during okay, the wintertime, yeah, yeah. and that would help stimulate <coughs> flowers. Uh, but, but you're not putting ice cubes out not, there as a watering practice. Yeah, you're, you're not shocking it. And, and you're not, whenever you put ice cubes on it, you're not getting even watering. You're not yeah. saturating that entire, it's water's going to follow the path of least resistance mm-hmm. and go down through that. So you're going to have a little bit of wet bark or soil <laughs> mix, and then you're going to have a lot of dry right. stuff. Well, Isn't it amazing half of how? Half it'll be dry, and the other half will be nice and wet. Yeah. yeah that doesn't help. How some of these things, well, I saw her doing it, and I saw him doing mm-hmm. it, so I did it. And then, you know, it just keeps going along, but... It doesn't mean it's the right way to do it, for sure. Right. And then, yeah. Veda and Jim, what about turning houseplants? You know, we talked about this about six weeks ago, how important it is from time to time to turn the houseplant, especially if they're getting a good bit of light. But isn't it a good practice to turn them all anyway, regardless yeah. of where they are? It Absolutely. Really yeah. You mm-hmm. know, they don't have to be in front of just the window. Yeah, Those unless are not- you've got direct overhead light, right. then I would suggest, you know, just turning them a third every week or so. Right. And oh, then that, even that often. And, yeah. Also, it's good to turn them just so when you're watering, you don't keep watering in the same location because right. <laughs> it can compact the soil and that you'll see a little dent, a little dent in the soil where people just keep watering the same place, same place. That also makes it hard for even watering too. So turning it every time makes you water in a different spot every time. And, and then if you can't do it once a week, I mean, we're saying, you know, do it just often, you know, especially mm-hmm. this time of year. When I say often, I mean even once a month is better than not doing it at all. Yeah. But Jim is saying go out there, you know, every well, week or two weeks. If if you're checking your plants every week or so, right? Then just make it a habit. Mm-hmm. Whenever you look at the plant, spin it a little bit. Yeah. And I, yeah. And, right. I, and what made me think of this is Jim invaded. Y'all might have saw Gina, my wife's Christmas cactus or Thanksgiving cactus, blooming, mm-hmm. you know, early on last year. 
around Thanksgiving, and it was beautiful. But she also had another one that wasn't really blooming at all. Well, she took the one that wasn't hardly blooming at all and did put it in front of a window, Mm -hmm. and she turns it. Yeah. And the thing is starting to bloom. Yay. So it's so just a change in life. It, mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it makes a difference, I'm telling you. Fertilization so, also makes a difference. That's one thing I see that people don't do at all. Now, basically, it, is not they don't fertilize yeah. or replenish. Really important. Yeah. Now, and, but we said, you know, this time of year, during the winter months, you typically don't have to feed your houseplants that often or at all. Mm-hmm. You know, cuz they're, you know, they have slowed down. The metabolism is is slower than it will be. When the days are longer, uh, and whether you're using a water-soluble plant food, and there's a million good ones out there, or a granulated plant food, the big difference is if you're using a water-soluble, one that you mix with water, <clears throat> you're going to have to use it probably more often mm-hmm. than one that you use that's granulated. So always keep that in mind also. Right, right. Um I've used um, the what and some people use both the Fox Farm fertilizer, like the Grow or the, Big the or Fox the Big Farm Bloom soil enhancer. Should I say, yeah, mixing that and watering our plants with it, and um, I see good results, really good results with the Fox Farm. And what's the other one? I've used the Espoma liquid mm-hmm. and the Fox Farm. Yeah, those two have done really good. And then still, I still top off with the worm casting. You know, that was going to be my next question. And, and then Has to Grow is going to be another one of these. And then we've got a new invader called Garrett Juice. Oh, is that from oh, Howard Garrett? Long, it yeah. has. Yeah. And we've yeah. got some in. And it's got molasses and all this mm-hmm. other stuff in it. And, you know, we'll talk about it later on. But Yeah, yeah it's you, from Howard Garrett put that together from the organic guy in Texas. But my question, because I know how you love using earthworm castings as a top dressing on your houseplants, but you're saying, Veda, it doesn't matter what day. You can do it mm-hmm. any any day of the year. Right, right. For With those products. Right. If I was using, like, um, within, there's some miracle Grow house plants and yuck, fertilizers. So yuck. I would, yeah. But, <laughs> like but I, I mean, as far as the earthworm castings, though, can you do that any time? Yeah, but, and the thing with it is, you forget you do it, and then all of a sudden you see some new growth coming on, or you're going, oh, my plant looks a little better, especially if you deleted it or deleted it. Um, went so long without replenishing mm-hmm. nutrients. It seems like the plant just sucks it up immediately. So, uh, right, so do a little them, more often. So give them ac- adequate light, give them adequate moisture, mm-hmm. moist but not wet, yeah. turning the house plants, right. and, you know, as often as once a week if you can, mm-hmm. uh, and then... Fertilizer and humidity, okay, which is a hard one. <laughs> and then a lot of times people will get their house plants through the winter months mm-hmm. because they have to be inside where it's warmer. Yeah, but knowing that they can always take them outside in the spring, and typically they just flush right back yeah. out. Yeah, that's what uh, my recommendation is. They'll ask how fast will houseplants go grow, and I'm like, well, inside, you know, it's going to be really slow. Uh, but if you want them to fill out and grow a little quicker, take them outside in the shade in the warmer months. And, and they just go crazy. But also, um, you know, there are insects that can affect houseplants this time of year indoors. I was talking to a gentleman just the other day, and he had mealybugs. And to me, mealybugs are one of the hardest bugs to get rid of when it gets on your houseplants. They get way down in the, you know, the yeah. nook and crannies of these houseplants. So what I was telling him to do, and if you have insects on your houseplants, other than getting a Q-tip and a little bit of alcohol and physically removing what you can, maybe washing the foliage down on your plants, talking about insects in general, 
you can get a granulated systemic insecticide, okay, mm-hmm. that you sprinkle in the soil and you water it in, and the roots will absorb it so you kill the insect from the inside out in conjunction with going in there and spraying. Yeah. But I tell people, if you're going to spray to kill insects on houseplants, first of all, use the right product. Secondly is don't spray just one time and forget about no. it. No. Yeah, because um, I had a plant. Uh, that had mealybugs on it, and I used neem. Once and I a week for about three week weeks? For three weeks, yeah, exactly. And I was able to eradicate it that way. Of course, I had some worm castings, did some liquid fertilizer. I checked to see why it was stressed, and it was mm-hmm. it was in the container a uh, long time without fertilizing, and it could have been a little bit better of a light situation. So why were you getting mealybugs to right, start with? Right, right. So changed, changed that environment, gave it some nutrients, sprayed it, and, and it's fine. You know, if you can just wait a minute for it to, to start flushing back out. But I do good. like using those, also those granulated insecticides, Jim, that, uh, what, I guess it's amidichlorophyll. It's amidichlorophyll. It's, uh, it's one of the great things, you know, particularly if you're having issues with fungus gnats. I mean, it's one of the only products that's labeled for the maggot control, and they are maggots inside your soil. I know it's hard to kind of grasp, but that's what they are. Yeah. This time of year, uh, people are eating breakfast. But it will con- it will control those, and, and and of course, the adults will eventually die off. Or you can you know put a little light up in the and buy it, and they'll come to it, and then you can just spray them. So use that product also in conjunction with you spraying, and I'm telling you, you'll get rid of most of those insects right. that are out there. Exactly. We all come see me at Pladio today. I'm talking at eleven about house plants and then put on your calendar for march 4th for jim crowder water garden and we'll see you next weekend in the garden